Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, a pretty quiet night in sports. No football. The NBA hasn't started yet. Now there'll be a time when there'll just be college basketball and NBA all over the place on Tuesday nights. But now we've got baseball. The final week of the regular season. The Cardinals win again. That is 17 in a row. They clinch the wild card. They are in. They will play either the Giants or the Dodgers. Probably the Dodgers, but eh, we don't know yet. The Cardinals, look at them go. That is win number 88. I assume they'll win two more games and get to 90. So all of the 90-win teams in the National League will make the playoffs. There will be The Cardinals would be the fourth after the Brewers, Giants, and Dodgers. Uh, I don't think anybody else will get there. And, of course, the Padres had a lot of hype. A lot of talk, but man, they have just collapsed and are just flirting with a 500 season here. Uh, you know, they'll probably finish right at it or, you know, a game or two either way. Uh, major disappointment there. But man, you got to give up the Cardinals. 17 wins in a row. And they are hot going into the playoffs. And I cannot imagine anybody wants to face them in a wild card game. <laughs> I mean, you can win it, but you do not want to face them in a wild card game. All right, DJ and PK, let us get to the football and the basketball. We got a little jazz for you this morning, and we got a little college football as well. And we are going to start with BYU and the college football. And we're going to start with Fessy Sataki. And, you know, he's a passing game coordinator. He's a guy who has a lot of input into the offense, not calling the plays and that. That's A-Rod, but still a lot of input into the offense. Man, the offense was really flying against South Florida. And I don't think South Florida is any good. I don't think Washington State's any good. And I can't believe some of you are questioning that and calling PK and I trolls on social media. Those two teams are 1-3 with wins over FCS opponents. And 0-6 against the Bulls subdivision. They are bad teams. I don't know how you're debating that. And I think the rest of the season is going to continue to show up. But even if it doesn't, they're bad teams in September when Utah and BYU beat them. But regardless of that, all you can do is play the team across from you, and the BYU offense looked really good. I mean, that could be a bad defense and a bad secondary, but if you overthrow the pass, it's incomplete. And the offense scored on five of eight possessions, and they weren't trying to score on the eighth possession. They were trying to run out the clock, and they did. So I think they had six A-plus drives. And they had two drives that you can, okay, you can get them. You know, a punt. But, you know, if you punt once in a game, that's, I'm sorry, that's not a crime. And the other drive ended in the red zone and you had a chip shot field goal blocked, which is more a special teams problem than an offensive problem. I thought the offense was brilliant. What did Fessy Sataki think? And I guess more importantly, what does he think looking ahead to Utah State? Because 4-0 is 4-0 regardless of the quality of the opponent or what went right or wrong. They're 4-0. They couldn't be any better than 4-0 right now. What are they going to do against the Aggies? Here's Fessy Sataki. Fessy, give us your breakdown on how you feel like your your receivers have done and, and then kind of maybe more in general the passing game overall because last week was kind of that breakout you guys were looking for. Yeah, um, in terms of the the receiver group, uh, been, been really pleased with them. You know, we've obviously been battling, uh, injuries since, since game one, um, kind of had to, had to shuffle through those a little bit. That's the nice thing about depth. You know, I, I remember talking about it to you guys all through fall camp is, is that's the value of, of having a deep group. Um, injuries happen. I haven't, I haven't never coached a receiving crew that's completely made it through the season, you know, fully healthy. You know, you're always going to have those dingers, some more than others. And so I've been really pleased with how the guys have responded. You saw Keanu Hill and Chris Jackson game one, really you step in and, and, 
do great things and we didn't skip 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 a beat and then when the Nakua brothers were healthy and ready to go game two um, they did a good job stepping in and, and making plays so um, it's nice I think it's that's our goal is make it makes it hard on defenses to, to be able to have all guys ready on deck and and know that if if guys are missing or, or get dinged up a little bit um, we, we can still function um, and then just as in it as it relates to our passing offense, you know, we played three, you know, really difficult defenses. You know, that first game was hard because there was a lot of unknown and, and, and Don Brown does a great job um, with his scheme. It's always tough to, 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 to pass on those guys. And then you play Utah state and, and Arizona, or sorry, Utah and Arizona state um, with two really good defenses historically. And this year, so, it, you know, we, we, we did enough to win. And, um, you know, although we, everyone would like stats to be higher, I was happy with their production. And then um, last, last week was good with the possessions, the number of possessions we had, I was really pleased with um, um, how efficient, you know, we were able to be in the passing game. So happy overall with, with the group and, and um, our, our uh, passing game. Uh, Jake, you're up. Fessy, I wanted to kind of get your assessment. Obviously, the passing game coordinator, you have a pretty influential role in this offense, but I wanted your assessment of how you thought Baylor did stepping in for Jaron last week. I thought he did awesome. You know, he, he didn't didn't surprise any of us. It's it's we, we have the luxury of seeing um, Baylor practice every day, and he gets a ton of reps. And um, he did what he does in practice: just poised, calm, cool, collected. I was really impressed with his his touch on the deep balls. Um, it's one thing Baylor's always done well. Um, those, those chunk yard that chunk yardage and those explosive plays are a critical part of our offense. And so for Jaron to go down and have Baylor come in and and be able to hit on all cylinders still down the field was was a really um, great thing to see and like I said something I think we all expected and so just very efficient I thought his decision making was excellent um, his ball you know the balls he threw were at very accurate and so just just happy with him and I always feel comfortable with Baylor um, at the quarterback position if that's what it is on any given week and in a scheme obviously you guys don't want to change it too much player to player but obviously going from Jaron to Baylor did it have to change at all for you or did you feel like he just kind of stepped into what ba- uh, Jaron had already been doing this season and just picked it up yeah, that that the latter. Those two are very interchangeable. Granted, Jaron's probably just a little twitchier and, and more of a threat in terms of um, running and 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 you know breaking any pressure. But Baylor's very capable. He's a very underrated athlete. So when you compare those two together, you know it's it's easy to, to nitpick and say you know this well Jaron's probably a step faster. But really, we don't have to change anything. Um, that's the that's the nice thing is Baylor's more than capable to to make plays with his legs. Um, and so we we feel comfortable that either of those two can fit to any game plan we have okay let's go mitch next and then sean walker yeah coach uh how, how exciting is it for the offense to uh, be in a spot where you guys are, are looking to put up more points yet same time you're 4-0 undefeated knocking on the door of the top 10 i mean how, how much how exciting is that to be in this spot where you guys haven't played your best football yet yeah, that's really exciting. That that's the sign of a great team is when you can when you can you know learn your lessons through victories. Um, that's 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 a great thing. And so I'm 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 really excited about the potential we have and the ceiling we have. You know to to, to keep growing and keep getting better. And that that's our goal. But to be able to um, you know do enough and execute enough to get wins, but know that there's room for growth um, is a really good position to be in. And I've I've been on the other side, just you know where you you know you you do really really well statistically and then you lose right on once one unit does a great job and you still lose um and so 
or you haven't played your best and you still lose. And so I'm just, we're all grateful for it. I think as a team, as coaches that we, we um, still have improvements to make, but that we, we do have a special team. You know, I, I don't want it to be overlooked that, um, you know, we're just not, not playing that great. I mean, we're, we're hard on ourselves and, and we want to be, you know, the best. And so we're holding ourselves to a very high standard. And so the fact that we're winning does say something. Um, we have a really good team. Um, but I think the fact that none of us are, are content is also the sign of a great team, you know, that we're striving for something bigger. So are those high standards, uh, something that you guys talk about as far as goals each and every day, this motivation throughout the, this part of the season? Yeah, you know, one of one of our main themes this year that Kalani's been pushing to uh, the team is is doing those small things that each that there's there's nothing that's too small to focus on. And when that's your focus, um, you're always going to find things to fix and improve. If you just say, oh, let's just go undefeated and, and have this big picture in mind, you miss out on those little things. And so there's every play. There's something we, we can all nitpick and say, hey, we got to We got to do this better. After every game, there's always these little things we're going to talk about that we need to we need to do better. And better and there's a fine line between not you know just bogging yourself down um, and being negative but also keeping that standard and I think that's that's settled into our culture and a lot of guys are uh, you know it's resonating with a lot of our team Coach, a lot of people look at this Aggie team and they see a really good, fast, up-tempo, dynamic offense, um, kind of like you guys, actually, a little bit. You guys have been able to play a little fast this, this year. But I, I look at this defense at Utah State uh, and see a really good secondary with guys like Shaq Bond and a really good linebacker with the the uh, Rice, Justin Rice kid in coverage. Is that kind of... Is it fair to say that's kind of a strength of their defense is sort of that back end? I don't want to just limit it to just the secondary, but sort of that back end of the defense. Is that do you guys sort of see that as well? Kind of in a, just in terms of a, a strong back side of their defensive unit? Yeah, yeah, they're returning two starting corners, um, and their safeties have experience, and so that's that's definitely a unit that we feel is 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 experienced. Um, and they they do a lot of things defensively um, that can that can create um, challenges for an offense. And you can't do that stuff unless you have an experienced uh, group of guys that you can rely on. And so you know we we have a challenge, and we're excited for the opportunity to face a, to face a really solid defense. Jake, do you have a question? Yeah, I just got one more. Fessy, kind of in that vein, the hot topic this week is how big of a rivalry is this? You're a guy from this state. You know what it means in this rivalry. How do you perceive it? Um, it's an in-state game. There's a lot on the line. There's a lot of emotion. You know, a lot of these guys have, have grown up together and played Little League together or played in the same high school. Um, you know, there's a lot of mixing with the coaches. I know they have a new coaching staff, and, and a lot of them are, you know, from back east or, or down south. But, you know, there, there's um, – there's a lot, there's a lot of emotion in this game and we, we know it that their fan base, um, you know, is, is, is electric, you know, and they're passionate just, you know, a lot like ours. And so it's going to be a fun game. And anytime you play a team that's within this state, whoever it is, whatever institution it is, um, there's going to be a lot on the line. And so we're, we're, we're excited for it. You know, I view it, view it as I, this game, the, the, the same as I would any other team that's in state, like this is a great opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of our families will be at these games and, and it's, it's going to be fun and we're excited. For it. All right, there is BYU's Fessy Sataki. Coming up, a little break from all the college football. We got a little jazz basketball, Quinn Snyder, Quinn Snyder with the media. And then we got to talk a little football with Frank Dolce on the way. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies welcome in BYU to Maverick Stadium for another chapter in their long rivalry with the Cougars. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action, beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6 on 1280 AM, with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK at 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, and it's time to talk a little jazz basketball. The jazz in Las Vegas for three days, then it's off to Texas for a couple exhibition games Monday and Wednesday. Let's start with Quinn Snyder and get a little jazz basketball with Quinn. Here's the coach. Because you have a veteran roster, like I assume that you don't have to implement as many stuff as, as you would at this time, usually typically at this time of the year. So how do you, how do you deal with that? And, and you know, how does that translate to, to, you know, the new guys trying to get the new guys to come along as well? Well, I think there's things that over the course of the year that you can really identify as like, you know, this is good, like unequivocally. Um, and then there's other things that are good in certain situations. Um, and there's other things you need to, you know, to work on. Um, so those adjustments, whether, you know, the playoffs always give you windows into that. Um, analytics give you windows into that. The playoffs are more specific to a situation, but that, you know, that, that's the playoffs. So you, you look and figure out how you can adjust and be better. Um, and then I think, you know, for us, when you spend a lot of time going back over the last year, trying to figure out not just what we need to do differently, but what, you know, maybe that we're doing well, that we need to do more of Like last year it was, you know, we're shooting the ninth most threes, but we're the best percentage. So, what are those things? And I think there's always um, there's always adjustments that, that may seem you may not even notice that may seem, you know, maybe just the simple spacing situation that creates um, a lot of different things. And during the year, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm answering this very well, but during the year, you notice those things, but there isn't time to truly implement something at a level that, 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 um, you know, you're rewarded for it, you know, you, cause it's new, it's not efficient. You're teaching a different habit. So the off season gives you a chance to really, you know, dig in on those things and, and, and commit to them. And that's true of a veteran team too. Um, in some respects, um, we use, all, we got a Sanjay Lumpkin, one of the guys on our, DAV staff is, I think, a scratch call. It, it, to go from four to scratch, you know, is a lot harder than go from, you know, 14 to four. Right. So I, I think the math and the, the, the mindset is still the same, um, but trying to find those incremental gains and also trying to find them with, with players, you know, where you're looking at a player and trying to figure out, well, he's efficient here, he's not efficient here, what can he do different? Um, but, but I think the challenge is it's easy to point to something and say, you know, we need to be better there. The question, you know, how, how do you become better there? 
Um, sometimes that's personnel adjustment. Sometimes it's, you know, a lineup combination. Um, sometimes it's spacing, different play. Um, and that, you know, that's what the summer entails. And, you know, I think you, you, you know, you watch the playoffs, um, you watch regular season games. There's just, you know, you try to collect as much information as you can and then, you know, make those decisions, but it allows you with the veteran team to focus more on those things, you know, because the guys are trained in a certain respect. And that, that's what we found, you know, last year, we, there's certain things in the style, our style of play that still really fit us. And we have to remind ourselves of that and, you know, not take it for granted, but then at the same time, try to get better. From the outside, it seems like having Hassan here with four dope to learn from, like the back to like rim running, mm-hmm. bigs, defensive bigs. Now, from the outside, that seems good, but it's also like I would think that it would be a nice challenge for him. It's not like he doesn't want those minutes. Yeah, I might even take it further. I, I think. I think it's great for Rudy, you know, to have Hassan, you know, we forget a little bit. Hassan, you know, Hassan was earned and was rewarded with a big contract in Miami. So that, that, that wasn't an accident. And, you know, I, I think um, having someone else, you know, even for Rudy to, to push him and then obviously, you know, for dope to, to see those two guys, certainly, um, but when you have two centers that, and I know, I think Hassan's year last year was really an outlier. Um, but when you look at what he's done over the core, I mean, I think he's in the top 4% in defensive rebounding, like historically every year, like that's, that's hard to do. Um, so the, all those guys, you know, I, I think the same is true of like Mike and Donovan, those guys pushing each other. I, so I, I think it's great for, you know, for Rudy um, and to, for those guys to kind of, you usually get, you know, a bonding that takes place too. And uh, I think Son's in a really, really good place. I think it's, I'm really glad he's here. You know, I felt strongly when I talked to him that it would be a really good fit for him. And I, I think he's feeling that even in a short period of time, just the way we play and, you know, I think there's a way to coach him that, you know, will will help him too. What kind of advice or instruction have you given Jared as he kind of begins this NBA journey? Um, I think one of the unique things about Jared is he's played, he's, he's won. So he's played with other really good players and he knows what it takes for a team to win. And that, that's, I think, something um, that, that the same is true of, like, Trent. You know, those, both those guys have been in situations where they've, they've won games in college, you know. And it, it, in, in some respects, you know, when, when, when people look at our team and talk about depth, and there, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities you know, if I'm playing Jordan Clarkson 18 minutes instead of 24, like that, we're not using Jordan Clarkson, in my opinion, the right way. Um, same thing with Joe. You know, so you can shave Joe's minutes from with the, you know 32 to 26, but at some point those guys are really good, 
and they show that night in and night out. So I think for Jared, part of it, you know, is patience, you know, and, and you, you can, you can be really competitive and hungry and still be patient. And when I say patience, knowing it's a little bit like preparing for when an opportunity presents itself for you to have an impact and understanding that the impact you might have on this team because of the makeup of the team is going to look different, but it can still be really impactful. And, you know, that's when you have things, you know, invariably there's injuries, there's foul trouble, there's all kinds of things. And, you know, so continuing to work and be hungry and not get frustrated if it doesn't come, you know, right away. I mean, we've got, we've got competition at that position. You know, I mean, Trent had a great summer league. Um, those two guys are very different players. You know, when, if we didn't have Mike and Don and JC and Joe, you know, those, those two guys could, could play together. You know, it, Trent's got size. Jared can really shoot the ball. They both have great tempo. So I think for a lot of our younger guys, it's, it's the same thing. Um, but in Jared's case, you know, when you talk to him, he, he's, he's got a very mature outlook. And, you know, I, I think that will serve him well, not just now with this team, but over the course of his, of his career. I think he is very grounded. He knows who he is as a player. Um, and he's very coachable as well. But it's hard to, you know, you're, you're coming into a team that, you know, is, isn't perfect, but, you know, had, had some success last year, you know. So, you know, that, that's part of it. You know, you, you come into a team that isn't as good a team, there's going to be more opportunity. But he's got a chance to, you know, to watch and learn and not just be coached by me, but to be coached by Mike and Donovan and Joe. And, and uh, I think that's a real that's a real advantage, especially over a longer term. Yesterday, we touched a little on the conversation that you had with Ruby Gabe that he mentioned kind of sold him on the organization. Uh, yeah, look, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, yesterday, we touched a little bit on the conversation that you had with Rudy Gay. Ocho. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Gotta think of a nickname for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, Hassan also mentioned during his session that meeting you like in person for the first time, you were not what he was expecting. What's the, what's kind of the, the process like of acclimating to new guys, like you to them and them to you when they come in, you know, when they join the organization? What, what, what was he expecting? <laughs> he, he said he thought that uh, you were going to be like this super, I think the word he used was angry. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's social media for you, right? You can make anything. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things about particularly, you know, guys that have been in the league is you have a chance to watch them over a period of time. They, they may not know you're watching them. And clearly I didn't know that he was watching me be angry. Um, the, um, so you get a feel for a player. Um, and I think, you know, players are different and, you know, Hassan is a rookie versus Hassan now and his, you know, experience in his career and part of it in my mind, it's my job to try to figure out, you know, how to help him, 
you know, how to help them be better. And I think a big part of that is how to help them, you know, feel comfortable and, and fit in and be connected. And if they can feel that, like, you know, it has to be real, you know, it's not like a, if you're selling something you don't believe in, you know, that that's disingenuous. And in, in both those situations, like I know the con, I really felt strongly that the situation we had for Hassan, regardless of minutes or all that is just a really, really good one that he could thrive in. And the same thing in Rudy's case. Um, so that those, those conversations, I guess the best way I could describe them was, you know, I talked to Rudy for a while. Um, talked to him a couple times. Um, and it just was very authentic. We talked a lot of basketball. Um, but usually when you're talking about basketball, it's kind of a platform for a lot of other things. So, you know, hopefully they get a, the, the thing that jumped out to me with Rudy was, you know, there's a, there's a joy, you know, playing the game that you, you often have a lot of when you're younger. And as you get older, you know, you, you, you remember that and you kind of crave that. And I think for him, he'll be at his best when he's having fun. Cause I, I don't think there's, you know, my, my, even today, you know, my dialogue, coaching, whatever you want to call it, is just much more interactive. I, I want to know what he thinks. And I think Rudy's a guy, you know, in this short time as I've been around him, I think it's important for him to understand why you want him to do something because he's really intelligent. And if he can, can explain why, you know, even if it's something that he's not crazy about doing, you know, he wants to win. And I, and I think that, you know, that's overriding. So it's the best thing about this job is when you get to coach guys that, you know, that you really enjoy being around. We'll go with that Ben Anderson first. Quinn, I think piggybacking off that a little bit, because they've been in the league for a decade, both Rudy Gay and, uh, and Hassan seem to have pretty well-developed personalities. Is it difficult to incorporate new personalities into a locker room? Is that something you have to be hands-on with? Or is that something that when you've been in the league for a decade, you, you know how to do? Um, I think it, there's a lot of variables, I, th I think. I think both their personalities, you know, add a lot to our team. You know, I think Rudy's maturity and experience, he's got a voice. I think he's, he's here longer. Um, you know, I can see leadership ability, you know, from that because of his experience, because of his, you know, unselfishness, you know, I think Hassan, you know, there's a levity. Hassan's got a great sense of humor. Not that Rudy doesn't. Um, but th those are things that I think, you know, the more you embrace, you know, that, you know, different people bring different things, the more they add. And Jordan's a great example, you know, that, you know, everybody's different. And I think we're lucky that you want guys to be authentic. You, you, you don't want them to try to, you know, be something in order to fit in. You know, the hope is that who they are will fit in. And sometimes that requires everybody adjusting their expectations a little bit. Um, and I think that takes some time, but in both our cases, you know, I, I feel that's happening very quickly. All right. Last question, Andy Larson. 
Queen, we got a presentation from Monty McCutcheon on some of the new rules changes as far as like guys jumping into, you know, kind of closeouts or arm bars on drives and that kind of thing. And I'm curious, you know, those are big plays. Those are three points where you wouldn't get, a, you know, so on. Does that change at all kind of how you approach coaching the perimeter or, I mean, kind of how do you look at those kind of, you know, relatively substantial changes? I think it's something you have to be very aware of. And you have to watch. I know a couple years ago, um, they were talking about certain. There was a way that the game was really called from a defensive standpoint, where they weren't going to allow certain things. And I thought we overreacted to it. You know, we got it made us soft because we weren't as physical. We were, you know to observe it. I think you have to kind of see how officials are calling it and understand how different, like adjust to the game. Um, I have no doubt that, you know, the point of emphasis will be emphasized. Um, the best way to to, to teach that I think is through video. I don't know that it's, you know, you can, but I don't know how efficient it is to kind of create new drills and, new techniques prior to seeing, you know, how the game, what, what it's going to look like, you know, where is it on the continuum? Now there's a couple of them that are, you know, that are pretty obvious where they're, they're trying to, you know, eliminate some of those shooting fouls and, you know, give the defense a better opportunity. But I, I think, and I think it's going to be different for different players. So I, that, that's one of the ones that, you make your team aware of it, you show it to them, you talk about it, um, and then you experience it, and that process kind of continues. There'll be a game when we'll think it should have been a foul, and it's not, and you pull up the video, and it was or it wasn't. And so I, I, I think it's, it's an organic thing. You know, it's, it's not like they just legislate something, and it's a very clear, clear – that's a hard job those guys have. And – I've been a part of that discussion being on the competition committee and it's, there's gotta be at some point a rule for Monty. What was he wearing? Did you guys see him on zoom? That should, that should, that should be a rule right there. Okay. Good enough. All right. There is Quinn Snyder back to college football. Next. We will talk with Frank Dolce on the state of the Utes, the state of the running backs, who he would play at running back, and the state of the Pac-12 South. Remember when we were all laughing at the Pac-12 North after one week? Yeah, the North looks better. (laughs) I mean, they got their flaws. I'm not saying they're great, but they look better than the South right now. We'll talk with Frank about that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. Kalani Sataki and BYU take their undefeated record to Logan for a showdown against the Aggies. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with a Cougar preview show. Friday at 6 on 97.5 FM with the post-game show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Frank Dolce, Utah insider and analyst for The Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. 
Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, is having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controllers. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. Offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Frank, good morning. Hey, DJ. Good morning. Hello, DK. Frank. Frank, I got one question for you. <laughs> yes. What was that Sky Ridge coach thinking at the end of the first half the other night, man? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> as it turns out, there was a little miscommunication. I think the the uh, the true story is so. For people who weren't watching that game, Sky Ridge and Corner Canyon, Sky Ridge had a fourth down <laughs> deep in uh, their own territory, and. Um, and Corner Canyon was starting to take control of that football game. Skyridge needed to make something happen. So on fourth and long in their own territory, they decided to go for it, at least make it look like they were going to go for it. And so they started doing a hard count. Well, all of a sudden, here comes the snap, and the Skyridge quarterback rolls out and throws it out of bounds. Oops. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and turn the ball over on downs. And I think what was supposed to happen was uh, Skyridge give a hard count, try and draw a corner canyon offside, take a timeout or a penalty, and punt the ball away. Gotcha. But but the snap uh, in, was inadvertent, inadvertently made, and and then um, you know one thing led to another. But DJ. We now call Frankie D. We call him Jim Gray because he had the walk-off interview at halftime, and he stepped right up and asked the tough question, like you know that big <laughs> thing Jim Gray did with Pete Rose, mm-hmm. and everybody got upset. So now it's Frankie D. is now Jimmy G. <laughs> well, I hope it wasn't inappropriate. I no, it I had to be to asked. That, yeah, I just that's a horrible thing to have to ask it because everybody's like. I, you know, and and clearly, even the coaches were probably saying, "What in the world <laughs> just happened?" So, Corner Canyon's pretty darn good. I mean, um, they, yes, we if, are. If someone, yeah, if someone <laughs> plays, if someone plays a perfect game, and Corner Canyon makes a couple mistakes, oh. which they they can do. You mean like the Utes? Oh, gee, yeah. If they play a, a nice perfect segue. game, they can beat Corner Canyon. If. If the youths play a perfect game, they might have a chance against Corner Canyon. Yeah. Or BYU. <laughs> Corner Canyon may be the best team in the state. I mean, Corner, I think, you know, the talk about winning the South of the Pac 12, I might give it to Corner Canyon. <laughs> you know, they can handle Arizona and Colorado. Oh, for sure. And the <laughs> yeah. Devils will just yeah. commit 82 penalties, so they got them. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, man. These teams can't stay out of their way. And especially the Utes can't can't keep the ball off the ground. Do you remember giggling quietly and averting your eyes in horror as the Pac-12 North went 1-5 the first week? And now it turns out that might be the tougher division. Oh, it's the tougher division. I Ugh. think the South is, the South is a mess. Um, Oregon State shot right up in my book. I mean, they, they look, I, we, I don't know anything about USC still. They're under duress, but, but uh, Oregon state looked really good. Uh, I like the way that they played and coach Smith has that team seems to have that team on track. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're kind of in the conversation 
um, at the end of the year. I, I'm still a little soft on Washington. Oh, for um, sure, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, Washington broke out. I mean, they didn't beat anybody. So <laughs> I I just think that's that's – I'm still – Still kind of soft on that on that program. Oregon still looks like Oregon still looks like the team. Washington State clearly beatable. So and Stanford, um, Stanford is. I mean, Stanford is is going to be one of those roller coaster teams. It seems like to me, one week they're going to be really good, and one week they're going to get beaten and and probably end up somewhere middle of the middle of the north. So I, I still think the north is the more powerful of the of the divisions, the South just seems like a mess right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. But with that in mind, I think that obviously this isn't Utah's strongest team. So if for no other reason that you're not as bad as the other teams or as inconsistent as the other teams, now it remains to be seen that they will or won't be. We don't know that. But go ahead and win it because uh, even if you're just not as bad as the other teams, what difference does it make? And then you're looking, you really can't count last year, at least I don't, and you will have won it uh, three out of four, or if you don't want to count last year, three in a row. So even if it's not your best team, the opportunity is there, so why not take advantage of it? Oh, no no question about it. To me, there are four teams that could win the, could win the division. Um Colorado and Arizona are just—they're not going to do anything. They—they won't be in the conversation at all. Uh, maybe they'll win a game somewhere along the way, but but uh, they're, I just don't think they have anything anything going this year. So, right. so there are four teams that I think have a, le- a legitimate shot at, at winning the South. I guess I would put—I guess I would put Arizona State up top, but it's like kind I of like not, uh, not yet. I'd go with the Bruins. I don't know. Yeah, I Bruins mean, got the two the, best wins in the in the division the right now. It is LSU and Stanford on the road. So I would I would put them. I put out my Pac-12 South rankings the other night, and I had uh, the Bruins number one, and then I had a three-team tie for fifth and a two-team tie for sixth. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. I think you could do. Um, I think you could do a four-team tie up top and a two-team tie at the bottom. I mean, I think you could figure, like, those those four teams, anyone can win the division out of those four teams. Uh, just any given any given Saturday. Utah could beat UCLA. I, I don't think there's any question. Utah can beat any of the teams in the South. I don't think there's any – I don't have any question about that. Agreed. Utah could lose to every team. Well – Lose to at least. You well, know, they're not going to lose to the bottom two contenders, right? So, so uh, it just depends who it, who has their who is on their game you know, on that particular matchup. So, you know, maybe Dorian Thompson Robinson throws three interceptions against Utah, and Utah figures out a way to hold on to the football, and they win that game. Right. I mean, I think that's going to be that that kind of is is going to be half, how it has to go, and I think Utah could harass. USC, I mean, USC has shown its weakness. Arizona State, kind of like you said, shoots themselves in the foot. So maybe you just have to wait around until they make a mistake and then yeah. you just take advantage of it. Right. So, but, but Utah's in the same boat. I mean, Utah could put the ball on the ground three times um, and, and, get, and then be, be bad at the line of scrimmage and get pushed around a little bit. I mean, they've shown that. So it's just a, the, the South is really, is really funny this year. 
thought the offensive line did a little bit of pushing around against Washington State, and I don't want to build Washington State up to be all that, but for an offensive line that hadn't done enough of that, the O-line couldn't control how many times the ball hit the ground. But the O-line did open holes, and they did get rushing yardage, so baby steps, but that was a positive. I think it's positive. I think you're right. And sometimes you need to beat up on beat up on somebody a little bit to figure out that's how you do it. And Utah hasn't been able to do that until Washington State at the at the offensive front. I still think there are issues up there that need to be corrected and Utah was still subbing guys at that trying to find find the right five. So I I do think they took a step forward there. I I did like the way they ran the ball, especially at times. Um, but like you said, the, the the three fumbles put a real damper on that afternoon. And if you don't have those three fumbles, maybe you're talking about Utah scoring another 14 points, and then the game looks a lot different. And maybe you don't come out with so many questions. But, but the three fumbles are critical. And uh, if that's going to be a continuing trend, then Utah's just going to really struggle to win football games. What did you think of Rising? Somewhat uneven. I thought he might be better in his first start this year. I think we were all hoping he would be better because um, he he did so well against San Diego State or he provided such a spark against San Diego State. And so, I mean, I think the expectation was probably that he would come in and throw three touchdowns and throw for 250 yards and, you know, 65, 70% completion, all the, all that good stuff, be really secure with the ball. And he looked uneasy. I thought he looked uneasy. Uh, he did some good things. There's certainly stuff to work on. And I, I, you know, I just don't know what goes, goes into that. If he was uptight about the game, um, or or whatever it was, I'm I'm sure it wasn't a lack of preparation. So, you know, I'll give him a passing grade on that one. Uh, it seemed like he just did enough, but but for Utah to be, I mean, I think the formula is still the same for Utah: powerful running game, get the running game going, beat up the defense at the line of scrimmage, high efficiency passing game, and now I really like that Cam Rising brings the ability to run the ball from the quarterback position. I think that's that I, I think that puts a defense, you know, makes a defense really uneasy. So, if he can clean up the passing a little bit um, and get to that 60-65% completion, um, use his legs, be secure with the football, I think Utah has a pretty good shot. Um, it's just it's just cleaning that stuff up. And and then that's the other thing I was saying like it still needs to be cleaned up at the offensive line. I'm not sure that Rising has a, you know, 100% comfort level behind his offensive line. I think they've just been they've just been a little soft up front um to to gain that trust of the quarterback. So we'll see, you know, I mean obviously they have an off week this week, but we'll see how it goes on the next outing. Like that that offensive line still needs a little work. So how do you sort out the running backs after they seem to have run through pretty much all the running backs? <laughs> the truth is I would start Pledger, I think. <laughs> I mean, he seemed like, and who knows, I mean, could be the time of the game or could be that Utah just figured something out. I don't know, but 
he just seemed like the most dynamic in that game. And so I think he's earned himself a spot, and he certainly didn't put the ball on the ground. Uh, I think Mackay Bernard is super steady, and that was kind of an unfortunate unfortunate deal. I don't know what to think about Tavion Thomas. I mean, it, it seems like every time he touches the ball, it's coming out. And I know that it came out after the play, but it's just like it's become habit. And so he seems like a super talented guy. And maybe you try and find him reps when um, in less critical kind of offensive series to get him some confidence. But uh, at this point, it seems to me that Pledger and Bernard would be my top two guys. And I might even lean toward Pledger because he was so dynamic against Washington State. How do you think that when it's time to play, you've got to play, right? The game is going to be scheduled. It's trivial in the big picture relative to a player dying. But how do these guys shake that off? Because, man, what a tragedy, and I don't know how you do that. No, it is is tragic. And, you know, we've been thinking about it a lot, obviously, and, and all of the circumstances surrounding it. Um, you know, with with the the link to Ty Jordan, and I mean, it's all it's all um, it's just strange and tragic, like you said. So, but I think that that uh, these guys to be in a in a in the middle of a team in in the middle of a season, in the middle of a team atmosphere with all of your guys around you, I think that's going to be really helpful all of those guys to work through all of this whatever they're you know whatever they're going through right now and guys will manage it manage it differently but if I had to manage something like this alone versus managing it with you know 85 or 100 other guys and I'm pretty close to I think I would rather have a, a group around where we could work through it and so um, as tragic as it is this may be the best case scenario for the team to work through something like this and and try and figure out how to uh, move forward appropriately and and honor um, low and his memory and and figure out a way to manage the rest of the season it's it's just a horrible horrible situation and it just kind of hangs hangs all over you i i was in a situation in high school um when uh, we had, there was a player on an opposing team who had a heart attack in the middle of the game. Uh, or, excuse me, right at the end of the game. They they called the game, and he ended up passing away. And, I mean, that's just something that, that it just hangs on you for the rest of the year. I mean, it's really hard to shake that. But um, But to have a bunch of other people who are going through the same thing around you seemed like it was pretty helpful. Frank Dolce joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, I want you to address the question of the day. BYU is joining the Big 12. We don't know if they're going to have 8, 9, or 10 conference games. I would guess 9, but there's an argument for 8 and 10. Should they continue to play Utah and or Utah State? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm always a fan of the in-state rivalry, but uh, like I I like to see Utah play BYU, and I like to see Utah play 
Utah State regularly. I like those games. I think those are fun games to 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 be a part of. So yeah, I'm in favor of it. But I don't. I also don't feel like if one of the teams takes a year off or wants to schedule something else for a year or two years or whatever and take a break, that doesn't bother me at all. Like I have, I'm completely indifferent about that. I don't understand. <laughs> the rivalry craziness that you, you know, you have to play every year. And if you don't play, then you're ducking somebody or whatever the the argument is. I feel like the rivalry games and the in-state games should be regular occurrences and maybe only take, uh, you know, a a two-year hiatus at the most. But if there are other circumstances that arise, and you have an opportunity to play somewhere else or someone else or something that's meaningful for the program, then by all means, go do that. And, and then we'll re, you know, you, 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 you start up the rivalry game when it's appropriate or the in-state game when it's appropriate. So uh, I like it. I think it should be played regularly. I have no issue when it's not played. Frank, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, great to talk to you guys. Yep, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. There's Frank Dolce, our Ute Insider. You hear him on all the shows all week long. We're going to take a break, come back with what is trending, all the headlines next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. Yeah, Notre Dame update. Um, we actually have been in discussions with Notre Dame in the last little while concerning that game, whereas in the past it's been, you know, silence. And so I feel that we're close to being able to come to some agreement on how we'll um, th- settle that, settle that, uh, settle that contract. And it would be—I I feel it'll be with games, not with. Uh, not in a legal cash sense. That's Tom Homo in 2018. It was getting close. Oh, those were good times, man. And now it's done. October 8, 2022. One year and nine days. Back to Vegas. Arizona was a nice warm-up act, but next year it's the Irish. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, the, the Review Journal down in Vegas had it uh, at the time that the Cougars were playing down there. They said that that was going to be what it was, and that's what it is. Yeah. BYU didn't want to comment, but it was obvious that they were going to do that, and that's a great thing. It's a great thing for BYU. It's a great thing for Vegas. I mean, Notre Dame, wherever they go, it's unlike any program that I've ever been around. I've been around most of them, at least to one extent or another, in their stadiums. And it's going to be a sold-out arena, I'm sure, or stadium. And good for the Cougars. Great opportunity. Great, great, great exposure anytime you play Notre Dame. Game scheduled to be televised on NBC. So you got to get a good time slot. They won't stash it at 8.30 at night. Not our time, no. 
Following his second college football playoff meeting in his many weeks, Executive Director Bill Hancock told reporters on Tuesday the decision-makers tasked with determining the future format of the sports postseason have the luxury of time to figure things out. He says, we have time because if the event's going to change before the end of the term, the end of the 12 years, we got three or four months. If it's going to change in year 13, well, then we got a couple of years to figure it out. Sounds, sounds like it's going to the back burner. It is for me. Louisiana Monroe quarterback Rhett Rodriguez, son of longtime football coach Rich Rodriguez, is home after being in intensive care following a lung injury suffered during Saturday's game against Troy. Hospitalized due to a collapsed lung chest trauma taken off on a, taken off a ventilator on Monday. So, doing better now. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. We're not going to push the panic button. What do I mean by the panic button? You know, we're not going to dramatically change who and what we are at this juncture. Um, We're not resisted to change for the purposes of getting better, but we're not going to be so unsteady that we move away from our compass. That's Mike Tomlin right there, not pushing the panic button. Steelers are one and two. Beat the Bills in Buffalo week one, but lost to the Raiders and the Bengals back-to-back games. I think the whole organization uh, has a history of never pushing the panic button, so I wouldn't think now. He hasn't had a losing season as a coach, but it could happen. See how it plays out. It's a long time in an NFL season, so there's time to turn it around. Next couple of teams they play, Packers 2-1, the Broncos are 3-0, so it's not like they got any gimmies out in front of them. We'll see what they're able to see what they're able to do. Three coaches since the merger, though, more than 50 years ago. They've been steady as a rock there. Richard Sherman going to Tampa to play for the Bucks. Free agent corner. They had one more veteran there as they chase back-to-back titles. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Your nickname is Hillbilly Kobe. Uh, that's what that's what they say. Oh, what? That's what they say. Okay. What's the, what's the story behind that? Yeah. So my my first year at Oklahoma, we, uh, we had a GA, his name Anthony Rini. Um, he came up to me one day and was like, "I figured it out." And I was like, uh, "What are you What are you even talking about?" And he was like, "HBK." And I was like, "What?" He was like, "Hillbilly Kobe." I was like, "Ah, uh, what, whatever." And then one of the teammates heard it and it just stuck. So uh, for for three years, that's that's what they said around. I mean, just. Oklahoma, and then I guess people caught wind of it elsewhere. Austin Reeves, nicknamed Hillbilly Kobe in college, and sure enough, he ends up with the Lakers. Well, so far. So far. We got to make the ball club. Pacers guard Karis LeVert has a stress fracture in his back, but there's optimism it could be only a minor setback and he could return by the start of the season. Oh, man, I hope so for Karras. He's had a bunch of injury issues, and he was a pretty good player with uh, the Nets. I'd like to see him see what he can do. One of these guys you didn't know a whole lot about, but then jumped out there and started playing some pretty good ball. Traded to Indiana as part yeah. of the uh, deal with the Nets to acquire James Harden, and as part of the physical there, they found a cancerous mass on right. his kidney. That was a big story. That was surgery back in January. It was a big story at the time. Yeah, because he was, like, uh, was grateful for it. He bounced back and was able to play in March, and now this with a stress fracture in his back, which sounds awful, but hopefully that'll and work out. And as I say, man, he's developed himself into a nice player. It's yeah. good to see these guys that don't have a ton of pub 
come up and, and work hard and, and get themselves in the position to succeed. He's one of them. Jazz signed a couple guys yesterday. Marquez Bolden and Malik Fitz. Malik Fitz gave BYU all sorts of fits. Oh, he did. Saint he Mary's played for St. Mary's. You looked at him, you thought, okay, he's, in the, now, he's not an Australian, which was shocking. <laughs> he had a good player who wasn't from Australia. What are you guys doing, St. Mary's? <laughs> Stay on brand here. But I can recall watching him play, thinking, all right, he looks like he's got an NBA body. And uh, then sort of lost track to him uh, after he got done with uh, college. But he played, uh, was with the Clippers a little bit. So, he was a nice player at the West Coast Conference level for what that's worth. I don't know a lot about uh, Bolden. I know he played for Duke, but didn't do a whole lot, whereas Saul Fitz play. They continue to sign guys. And I'm thinking, you know, one of these times, what they need, you know what they need? I was thinking about this yesterday. You know what they need? Buckle up, Yak. What do they need, PK? And they need a player like DeKalber coming off the bench and Bob McAdoo. <laughs> Okay, good. Bob McAdoo? Bob McAdoo, yeah. Bob McAdoo, you know, he can play. Bob McAdoo, he come off the bench. He can put some points on the scoreboard for you. Wasn't a great defender, but Bob McAdoo, Bob McAdoo can play the game of basketball. Former NBA scoring champ. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean I'm not talking about Lakers his highlight. You know, not I'm not talking about Bob McAdoo in his prime. I'm talking to Bob McAdoo, you know, later on coming off the bench as they sign guys to try to help them to fortify the roster and play basketball. You know what I mean? Bob McAdoo. Mm-hmm. Okay. What? You're working that uh, Jersey accent there. I'm going to say, are we back east suddenly? You say you can't go home. Well, yeah, you can and then uh, did, you like watching Bob McAdoo play basketball, didn't you? Sure. Yeah. I think it's a good acquisition to get a player to caliber of Bob McAdoo. What's so wrong about that? DJ and PK. You play basketball. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swing and a drive into left center field. That's deep. And it's gone. Home run, Arenado. One out, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, tie game, 3-2. Inside, ball four, Astros win it 4-3. Back-to-back bases loaded, walks by J.P. Shagwa, and the Astros' magic number is one. Outfield backed up a step or two, infield back, first pitch, high drive, left field, there it goes! Bye-bye, into the bullpen, Mitch Hamager again! And the Mariners now lead it 4-2. Major League Baseball, the season ends Sunday. The Mariners, half a game out of the AL wild card. They beat the Athletics 4-2. The Mariners closing in. Yankees look good now. They beat the Blue Jays again 7-2. But the Red Sox, slipping PK. Could be in trouble. Yes, they could be. Oh, it's dramatic. Got a team you uh, you believe in down the stretch here? As the Sox lose to the Orioles 4-2 and... Try to hold off the charging Seattle Mariners who haven't been to the playoffs in almost two decades. I don't see the Cardinals losing again in 2021. Cardinals have won 17 in a row. They beat the Brewers 6-2. to They have clinched the NL wildcard spot. We'll go to either San Francisco or L.A. Both those teams picking up wins. Giants beat the Diamondbacks 6-4. to Dodgers beat the Padres 2-1. to 
Adam Wainwright, 40 years old, 17-7 and seven for the Cardinals. Pretty doggone good. Cy Young good? No. Well, pretty doggone good anyway. Bueller picked up win 15 as the Dodgers beat the Padres. Pitcher's duel there. And Dodgers Hall of Fame broadcaster Jaime Harin will retire. Spanish language announcer who called games in 1959 as a 22-year-old will end a 64-year run with the team next year. He's 86 years old. Still calling Dodger games. Yeah, I went to Dodger game this year, and they had a little thing out uh, beyond center field where they were uh, introducing a lot of the uh, former Latin players, and he was going on in Spanish, and there was a bunch of people around them. Uh, see some of the old-timers coming out. Alejandro Pena was there. Back in the day. Well, it was, it was last month. He was a player back in the day. His yeah. son beat him out the door, funny enough. It was a reunion thing. Bees open their final series of the season tonight in Tacoma against the Rainiers. 8 o'clock, 7.50 with the pregame show with Steve Klopke. Hashtag RSL. RSL trying to bounce back from that 6-1 loss in Portland. They've got the Galaxy coming into Rio Tinto Stadium tonight. The Galaxy lost in Austin on Sunday. And they have earned just three points, three draws in the last seven games, four losses. The Galaxy winless in the last seven and struggling. They were uh, second and third battling for the top spot, and they have dropped all the way to fifth in the West. And RSL can actually catch them and pass them with a win tonight. Well, good luck to you guys. 7.30 for the game. KMYU, KSL TV app, or ESPN+. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Riley Jensen, college football insider, mental performance coach, will join us at 8 o'clock. Luke Robitaille, L.A. Kings team president at 9 o'clock. Kings coming to town for a game Thursday. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies welcome in BYU to Maverick Stadium for another chapter in their long rivalry with the Cougars. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action, beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6 on 1280 AM with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes are Toasted brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair is 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore the thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR. To 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahairmd.com. Question of the morning. Can visiting BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? 
See, do you either go to Rice Eccles Stadium or Maverick? Yeah, because I think that Utah State fans, the rivalry has progressed at a f- you didn't the, the, at a very fast increment because you didn't necessarily need the Utah BYU one to do that, but since they play every year and they've had some good games, some back and forth. There's been some winning on both sides, unlike uh, prior times from both perspectives, that it has turned in to something that has really developed, especially on the Friday night before the church weekend. That's good stuff. We, we count on that. And I think especially, you know, like you look at uh, Oklahoma and Texas when they play in a Red River shootout early in October, uh, Notre Dame and SC. If it's in South Bend, it's in October. If it's in the Coliseum, it's the end of November. And so I think fans love that type of thing. I was like, okay, the body clock, the time of year, it's when it's supposed to be. It's the natural order. It's right. And that's what we've developed to a good extent between Utah State and BYU. And... But it's, but it's not an exhibition anymore. What do you mean? Well, for decades, it was just BYU is going to go whoop up on yeah, Utah but that, State. Okay, but and that, now it's got juice because the last that's six what years I said. they've split it. Don't add but because that's what I included in my diatribe. <laughs> in my opening statement, if you will. <laughs> so, yes, they've both experienced do- periods of domination. But in recent times, there's been winning on both sides. And so you factor all that into there, and it is is developed into a great secondary rivalry. You can only have one primary rivalry, but you can have multiple if you're fortunate enough to have secondary rivalries. And BYU, for an independent, has that, as does Notre Dame. The parallels between Notre Dame and BYU are just striking. Tweaking people now. <laughs> How's that tweaking? <laughs> you know how it is. They're institutions that both love Jesus, right? We can put that out there, right? Billy, you could use a touchdown, Jesus. There's no tall buildings to put it it's on. It's called Gunnar Romney. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They got two buildings they could put it on. The Baylor Tower. Romney. No, really? we don't need that. You don't want to copy that. Baylor Romney. I assume he speaks Spanish. Didn't he grow up in Mexico? He did. Yeah. Touchdown, Jesus. I'll adapt. That'll work. (laughs) And when was the last time a ranked, nationally ranked, Brigham Young University Cougar team went into Maverick Stadium with Merlin Olsen Field where we hear every three weeks where you sit naked on the bull, five guys. <laughs> when they can't get other promos, they run that, they put that around. Uh, so we know about that thing, too. This is a monumental game. And they developed, they've developed quite a tradition. This rivalry has formed right before our eyes. Fact. And it's why, as we were discussing yesterday, it should continue... I don't think it, what do you you guys say, time and eternity? I'm not going that far, but I'll go time. 
And I don't think it should take a timeout. Joe says all rivalry fans in Utah are horrible to the other team. Joe no. expects no, no, Joe no, no. expects you, horribleness. El Rongarino. What was that guy's name, the author? He went down to the Ed and he didn't hear one cuss word. Hey. What's that guy's name? Jeff Je- something? Jeff Benedict does Jeff not Benedict. want any part of this right now. Why not? I'm just joking. He said it. Were you with us when he said it? Yes. He he wrote it. He said it. Yes. He he. And the very next week, I went to a BYU game. I walked down to that field, no. and I heard a string of profanity that would have made him Not blush. from BYU fans. Oh, yeah. It was. It was not. Stop and cease and desist. I implore you. Jeff Benedict, the Rolling Stones, the surviving members, obviously, are now on tour. They opened up Sunday night. In St. Louis, right? I mean, if you start those guys up, they'll never stop. And Jeff Benedict, I seen this somewhere, had an opportunity before they took undertook the tour. They did a private show, and Jeff Benedict was there in a very, as I understand, an intimate gathering. Ooh, right. See the Rolling Stones in front of like seventeen people. Need a little bigger crowd than that. Okay, 27. (laughs) (laughs) That would be way cool, for sure. It's like that time that McCartney, somewhere over in England, was at some pub, and they had a curtain there, and people were sitting there, and they raised the curtain, and there he was. That was for a TV show. Paul McCartney himself. (laughs) And all the people were just Just stunned. What? (laughs) (laughs) And the look on their faces, because they had the cameras, because obviously they knew who was behind curtain number one. (laughs) And it was going, you were not going to trade that for what's behind curtain number two. If it's uh, Paul McCartney and his band, and it's you know just a little uh, bar type thing. And then you see the word started filtering out in the community, and people started uh, running down the showing street. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Go see yes, the greatest living legend of uh, rock and roll, Mr. Paul McCartney. And so Jeff Benedict, who had never heard a swear word down at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, so I argue with that guy vehemently that he says all fans treat the other fans like a doo-doo. Well, Scott Nelson tells us now that you can get caffeine in Provo. I think Lavelle Edwards Stadium is equally as rabid as any of the other stadiums in the state. But is it obscene? Depends on the section. It can be. The section? What section then? No. Depends on, I mean, it's every game, it's, you know, where are people sitting, the whole resale market. You never know. You never know when you go to a game if you're going to be sitting in a section and just kind But of, you know that in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, they have a bad section, is what you're saying. That darn south end zone. <laughs> you're telling me that, I don't know how you would divide up the sections, but just say random round number 10 sections. And you're telling me that 10% of those sections, one of those <laughs> just, sections, just is going to be huh? inappropriate. All right, whatever. I just, because I can do 10 and I know one. Once you get to 11, I couldn't figure it out. But I can do easy 10 ones. And do, okay, 10%. You really believe that? You're speaking as if it's fact. 
I'm with Yach. You never know. You're walking around, you hear something, but that doesn't mean that section is going to be like that in the next okay, game because you got different. But, but regardless, there's going to be a section that's inappropriate. It doesn't necessarily have to matter if it's the same section. There's going to be a section that Where is something inappropriate, inappropriate will be and wrong in Lavelle Edwards and sure. and you something get, that you get sixty thousand people together. Yeah, I think something inappropriate might happen. 60, no, no, you're, you're insisting. You're not saying might. You said you know. Stood under the goalposts in the south end zone. One of my first games there. I don't know if it was my first game. So we're going one of my back first games. 30 yes. years. Stunned. Okay. 30 years. People and, were not allowed to progress in your life and, and get better. And uh, someone and on, a missed, perfection. on a misfield, they, they're actually allowed to do all those things. But thanks for assigning that. I mean, that was a question. It wasn't uh, a, it sounded it like wasn't, a statement. Yes, they certainly can. They, they, people have their good days and bad days. It happens. So you're going back Miss, 30 years. Yes. All right. Missed field goal, and someone blurted out something entirely too appropriate that I can't repeat on the radio. Turned around, and they had on those uh, the, the big headphones, and were clearly listening to Paul James on the With radio. The antenna coming off of and, them? Yeah, and yeah. blurted out something <laughs> horrific. And that's what passes as a bad section? Well, if you don't want your kids to hear that and you're sitting there and you hear that, yeah, that would be a bad section. You never know. You never know when you go to a One game. One person creates a bad section, but we do know... One bad apple does not spoil the whole bunch. But in your mind, <laughs> one bad person. If you leave that bad apple in puts the bag long enough. On an entire section. That's what you're telling me. But the next me. section over, people had no idea, couldn't hear a word. So you never know when you go to a game what you're going to get. Yeah, but you do know. You know you're going to get a section in Lavelle Edwards Stadium that's going to be bad. You just don't know. That's a surprise. Is it section number one? Is it section number five? <laughs> That's know. the mystery. But you do know, according to you, that there's going to be go a to bad a, section. You go to a Raider game at the Coliseum back in the day. I wonder how the Raider games in Vegas are, if they're, uh, if they're any different. Yeah, but we're talking college here in Utah. We're not talking no, okay. Raiders there. But you Once, still. The you more see alcohol it. you introduce, the more problem you're you going to have. You see a fight in one section across the way, but in your section, there's nothing going on. It's just a bunch of people sitting there watching football. You uh, never know. All right. We understand that. But that's not the issue. The issue is that you're saying that there's a bad section in every game. I think to get back to the original question, at can visiting BYU Stadium. fans expect better treatment yeah, for Utah or Utah State fans? It is potluck, and it could be as simple as where your seats happen to be. But if there is, you've guaranteed us that there's a bad section in the Velodrome. Yeah, Stadium. I think if there's 25,000 people in the Logan game, I some BYU fan is going to hear or see something. But Some is it other equal cougar. to or worse? Some other Cougar fan. Pff, I mean, you, you, state, you, you put together a statement of fact, and then you try to generalize that fact. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> Once you put together a statement of fact, then don't try to logic and generalize it. Uh, don't okay. run from it. Embrace it. Embrace it hard. Jeremy Clint, has a story for us. Clint says Utah State is very classy. And there's nothing to worry about. Okay. Now let's get a story. But there's something to worry about at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, according to David James Sniggledorf, oh, an employee of KUTV, a state station that I am no uh, longer employed by. I think there's something to worry about at Maverick Stadium. But let's go to Jeremy. Jeremy, good morning. <laughs> All right. I'll keep it fast because you guys are busy, but 
Go ahead. Love the show. <laughs> take you. my son down to the take my son down to the game. Buddy of mine, BYU fan, gave me tickets in the student section. Obviously, we're huge fans. We're sitting there. People are super nice. A lot of a lot of young couples and babies. But there's these five return missionaries in front of us with their girlfriends and fiancés. And as the game starts and it's looking ugly, this is where the two Utes bump into each other in overtime and then the guy tight end runs for a touchdown to end it, right? Yeah. And uh, they just start throughout the whole game just F-bombing every three seconds. <gasps> I mean, just Every three crazy. seconds? It was Like bad. in a minute, that would be three, out. six, nine, twelve, fifteen. Go ahead. Yeah. Go keep talking. That would be like so anyway, uh, 20 F-bombs horrible, in one minute. The horrible part about this is that my son, who's seven years old, looks at me and says, Dad? Is this Jesus' school? <laughs> and I look, I look down at him and I go, I was trying to figure out how to handle this. I said, yeah. And then he looks at me and goes, well, shouldn't we leave if they're talking like this? Oh. And what did you tell him? So third quarter, third quarter, we bailed, and I had to listen to it on the flipping radio right home. <laughs> that that, so you listened to it on the flipping radio, which tells me your son at seven was just one year away from the age of accountability, but yet he knew what accountability was. Am I right, Jeremy? You are right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, it, it was frustrating because I wanted to stay for the game, but when your kid looks at you with those eyes like, what the heck's going on? you got to leave. And now I have to admit, the fans around us that were with their kids and stuff were like, tell those guys to shut up. And they, they were being rude to us a little bit. But those guys are just on their own mission. Okay, to do their how own do you thing, know they so. were return missionaries? I, that was my exact question. It's, <laughs> okay, it's like I can so name tag on their there, back. They're sitting there at the beginning of the game talking about their missions, oh, talking about their them. girlfriends and fiancés. So there's a, there's a whole conversation about it, right? And then when we're listening, then we're watching the game, and they're just they're rolling off on these refs. They're cussing, swearing. They're swearing. Just, yeah. It was just. Well, clearly they went stateside on their missions, don't you think, Jeremy? I, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to answer that question, PK, in any way, shape, or form. Where did you go? Korea. Ah, see, and you know better. <laughs> well, actually, you could swear in Korean, and nobody around them would know. But see, those guys, they didn't learn a foreign language, so they knew dirty words in English because they went stateside, right? It makes sense. Even <laughs> you though you didn't it. know, you can put two and two together, and you can come up with an F-bomb. So anyway, my point is, you know, DJ has his time frame. Yeah. You know, years later, they're still doing it. But the thing is, I mean, it happens everywhere. I don't care what anybody says. Right. I sit in my section in the north end zone and listen to my, my friendly fans cuss and swear, so whatever. Well, tell them to shut the hell up. I do. Let's <laughs> we'll, uh, see. Uh, first game of the season, I take my 10-year-old daughter, and I said, they're swearing. I said, hey, you can't swear. You have to use, you know, Slang that's not swears like yeah. fetch and freak. Yeah, 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 and they yeah. did. They yeah, were yeah. really cool about well, it. Well, man, you're swearing you against girl. Weber State. What's it going to be as the season progresses? <laughs> well, you, you know. Pace yourself. <laughs> you, know, you know at that point. <laughs> hey, we, we know where we're going. We're good. Hey. Go All right. You. Thanks go for the go stories, you. Jeremy. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Right. There you go. Jeremy with the stories. Mission return missionaries. Is that any way to impress the honeys? Probably depends on the honey. Because, I mean... What do you mean depends on the honey? If it depends on the honey, is she a honey? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> keep them coming, PK. <laughs> keep them coming. And I want people to know, right now, I'm getting paid for this. Casey says, <laughs> newsflash, every fan base has their deplorables. People use no different. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just because you voted for one guy, now you are deplorable? Yep. You people over there think you're so freaking high and mighty. I've been listening to you for years, and I'm sick and tired. Quit calling me a deplorable. Every fan base has their deplorables. BYU is no different. I've seen BYU, Boise State, and Utah fans all trying to pick fights with Utah State fans in Logan. Friday will be no different. If fans act like dipsticks, they will be treated (laughs) like dipsticks. Dipstick, I like it. Yeah. Well. Check your oil. It depends on if you're oiled up, though. The more oiled up you are, the more of a dipstick you are. There's a possibility that the (laughs) dipstickiness... This, this, I'm impressed on how this rivalry has blossomed to where this is a big-time game. It matters. You know, and I would have preferred Utah State to be undefeated. Sure, battle of unbeatens always sounds good. It's an easy handle to put but on But at the, the same time, they should have more of an edge. I don't know if they would have... You can't say they gave the game away to Boise, but they sure gave away the opportunity to make the game far more competitive score-wise than it was. I don't know that they could have said, well, if not for this or that and whatever, we would have won that game. When you lose, what was it, 27-3? to 3? It, It's hard to say <laughs> It's that. hard to rationalize away 24 yeah. points. But nevertheless, yeah, but, when, you, when you put up 315 yards and have zero points, that's virtually unheard of. Right. And, and actually, listen to Scotty at halftime, uh, he and Kevin were talking about, it, it should be 10-6. to 6. The Boise State can have their 10 points, and you can woulda, coulda, shoulda that. But when you get those yards... And you're that close, you expect college teams to be able to execute and make chip shot field goals. I would say minimum 10 to 6. And that's what they were saying. It could be better. I mean, obviously they could have gone full on Homer and say, hey, it should be 14 10 or 17 or 21. Right. Yeah, I'm not willing to go that far. And obviously right. I didn't hear it because I was watching it on television, but uh, neither were they. And they were right in not wanting to go that far. But the point I'm making is. Utah State should have a lot of aggression because they did not put on a good performance. They put on good performances the prior three games, obviously, but they did not put on a good performance relative to their talent. Kyle Whittingham has been talking about that all season, that the what they see on film and practice and whatnot, it's not translating to the level. The talent is not manifesting itself in the games to the level of talent that they have. And he's been talking about that. He's said it more than once so far this season. I think it's the same thing with Utah State in that particular game. They were better than they displayed. So in my mind, if you underachieve like that, it should gnaw at you to the point where you really want to get back out there and make the wrong right. And it so happens that BYU is the opponent, so you combine a lot of the kids here, especially the local kids, Probably not, not necessarily all, but some of them would have wanted to go to BYU and they weren't recruited by BYU or they weren't shown enough love by BYU, whatever it might be. And so they've got that. Then you've got a nationally ranked team. You've got an in-state rivalry. You've got all these things that you can put in the pot. And it should lead, I think, to a much better showing by the Aggies. Because you take a kid like Bonner and Rice. I mean, they're probably Bonner, the quarterback, Rice, the best player, it looks like defensively, right? Well, he didn't necessarily 
I mean, Rice is a little different because he's from California, but the other kid's from Texas via Arkansas, so he probably doesn't know a whole lot about BYU, although I think you can get up to speed in that very quickly. But nevertheless, he knows that he did not play well to his capabilities last Saturday morning, particularly on that pass we had Blake Anderson. He got a butt-chewing, according to Blake Anderson. <laughs> he knew the, it. Yeah. He knew it. Right. So you would think that he would want to get back out there and atone for those mistakes and now you've got this opportunity Friday. Because if they win, even though they'll, always, they'll still be 0-1 in the conference, but if you beat the 13th-ranked team in the country, a budding rival, BYU and all that stuff, it won't eliminate the loss last week, but you feel a heck of a lot better about yourself, I would think. So it adds all sorts of incentive into this game coming up in a couple of days. Let's go to Adam. Adam, good, good morning. morning. Hey, Adam. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, so this is my Utah State experience, and it's our fault. So I take my boys, they're in high school, and we go to the, the Utah State BYU game. When Gary Anderson had that neck brace on, yeah. and we made the mistake of buying three neck braces and riding BYU on it, <laughs> that's, when they, <laughs> that's when they beat us. And I thought, we left at halftime, like, we're out, we're done, we're going to get killed here. <laughs> so you mocked a man's injury. Yes. Yes, we did. Adam, <laughs> of course. What would your bishop say on that? Bishop. Adam, what would your bishop say? Would he think that's appropriate? He, he would say, irregardless, you need to be kind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you, boys. All hey, right, Adam. Adam. There it is. <laughs> you know, it's irregardless. apparent to me, this is unscientific, we have a lot of listenership among the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> you think, huh? Yes. You've come to that conclusion. And let me tell you, I drink to them, guys. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Former Cougar and former Aggie Riley Jensen, college football insider, joins us at the top of the hour right here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach at BYU, Kalani Sataki. I got to tell you, Coach, if I would have had these built bars when we were at BYU, I would have got better grades. You know, Hanson, whenever I hear the word hangry, I think the definition of it should be your picture. Because when you were in college and you were hungry, you were probably the worst guy to hang out with. And we just knew that to throw you something to eat and you would be in a better mood. Imagine if you would have just had all these protein bars available to you. You would never have a day of being angry at all. You had a great grades and you would have had a great experience overall because we know one thing. When Hans is hungry, watch out. Everybody tread lightly. I'm hungry! Hans and Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. So what's the environment going to be like in Logan? Can visiting BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? Chad says, a friend and I went to the BYU-Utah game at Rice-Eccles Stadium in 2012 to cheer for BYU. Even with that particular game being very intense, we were treated like out-of-state church members visiting the local ward. They even comforted us after the painful loss. True story. Where was this? Rice-Eccles Stadium. So you're telling me there's Christian people who go to Utah home games? Is that what you're saying? Apparently a small number that surrounded Chad and whoever he went with, his friend. 
Well, oh, so you want to minimize it by saying it's just a small number. Yeah, yeah minimize it. Absolutely. It's chaos at Rice Eccles Stadium. Chaos! Got a couple thumbs up. Also got a bunch of laughter like they think it's a made-up story. Oh, it's fake? People laughing at it hilariously. So he would go on social media? That's and, where you got this? And it would yep. be a fake story? Yep, fake news on Facebook. That would be the uh, the assumption from those people with the laughing emojis. I do I believe. I don't know that it's news. It's a story. And I have a hard time believing that that's fake. Why would he fake that? That doesn't make any sense. Get attention on social media. Ah, if you want attention, you would come up with a more outrageous story. That would get your attention. Well, here's Drew with stereotypes. Speaking from personal experience with my own family, Utah State fans are nice until their team loses, and Utah fans are just a-holes in general. (laughs) (laughs) Cross the board. There it is. Boom. Deal with it. I found that to be true. (laughs) Salt Lake Jake, this is such a stupid tweet, Deej. (laughs) Dilly dilly with the gift. Stir that pot. Spencer says, well, both places, good and bad experiences. But my worst experience was at the dairy farm. What's that mean? That means Utah State, the ag school. Oh, 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 okay. I thought it was literally. I was taking it literally. Trenton, who's got a Utah State logo in his avatar there, says, oh, shoot, I may be a deplorable Aggie. I can't wait to sit next to some Cougars Friday night. Well, I don't know how many are going to be there. It's a smaller stadium. So in this particular game, I would imagine it's a tough ticket. Obviously, BYU gets an allotment of tickets. I was seeing the secondary market tickets 170 bucks. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. That's, that's what you got here. Tupper, Tupper Finn says... Uh, can BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? He says, well, it depends. Will Utah State share their ice cream with us? <laughs> and Joseph says, yeah, but they might charge you double. Well, that's not sharing, is it? That's the American way. <laughs> profiteering, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Move over, sharing. Here comes profiteering. Mike, as much money as you possibly can. Yeah, I don't blame him on that one. Ray, I've been a BYU fan all my life in Cache Valley. The only thing I don't understand is the hate for BYU. I understand cheering for your team, but I don't understand the hate, especially for members of the church. Hashtag cheer for your team. Okay, so what? I assume he's talking about the LDS church. Safe assumption, yes. And he's saying that there's people up there in Cache Valley who hate BYU. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't get it in general, but he especially doesn't get it by members of the faith. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's an interesting concept there. Because I, I wonder, you know, how many Catholics out there hate Notre Dame. Sincere question. They, they may have their fandom, their team, whatever school they because well, the only thing that goes in under name obviously right the only thing then well maybe the USC because they had a pretty good rivalry there but I was going to say you know playing Indiana or Purdue where they're right in your backyard and you got to listen to them all year long Utah State fans especially 
through the decades of losing the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, get sick of the BYU fan who lives next door around the corner, constantly talking up Are their team, talking down their team. Are you hating though, if you're hating, if you're a Latter-day Saint who hates BYU? Do you, in, in a sense, are you hating yourself? Because the, the leadership of BYU clearly believes that through the football team, there is exposure to their faith. Val Hale explained this to me many years ago, and he had letters they had. In those days, you'd have to write a letter, right? And he had letters, boxes or baskets or deskful. I don't remember what it was. But he was telling me because of the exposure of that football team, which was obviously very good during the Lavelle Edwards era, they had a phenomenal run where they were churning out NFL quarterbacks and just conference titles year after year. And he told me that there was such great exposure. So I assume that would mean something to you if you're a faithful member. So are you spiting yourself in a way? I happen to think it's just sports, but that's just me. I was going to say that would be the answer you'd get. And I think Ute fans have heard this over the years, too, that Ute and Aggie fans say it's just sports and you people are taking it way too seriously and I don't like you. And then there's back and forth and it escalates and uh, it gets yeah, more th- intense. but if they hate someone, aren't they doing it, too? Aren't they? I mean, as it is, as I see many times over, the people doing the calling out of another group often have the same issue, just in a different way. They don't see it that way. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 of the zone. Riley Jensen joins us next. Snow College, went to BYU, transferred to Utah State, lived in the Cache Valley while playing for the Aggies. We will run all of this by him and get, get his opinion, see what he thinks, and we'll do that next. Stay with us. DJP Gates 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain is having an end-of-season sale on the irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. Offer available to all commercial properties own listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What's going on? Many things are happening. We'll start with the sports and the hardcore football first. We'll get to fan behavior later. Are your Aggies ready to bounce back after that three-point offensive debacle against the Broncos? So many yards, so few points. Or level competition has gone up. The first three games are bound to look different than the next two because of the quality of the opponents in uh, games four and five. Well, you certainly hope that they'll bounce back from the way that they played on Saturday. Um, I don't know if it was a 10 o'clock in the morning start. I'm sure that they have plenty of excuses for, you know, why they weren't able to move the ball offensively because for the most part, in the first three games, they've been able to move it. Um, I think the silver lining for Utah State right now is that South Florida was able to move the ball. They were able to move it around with with a mobile quarterback, which I think Peasley brings to the table. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Logan Bonner and Peasley and how they're going to use that combination or if, if, if Bonner's totally healthy. But I think Peasley brings some things to the table that the quarterback in South Florida brought last week, and I think that they'll probably, probably try and exploit some of those things. Because I'll tell you what, when Peasley gets out in the open field, it, it's pretty impressive how, how well he can run the ball. Now, on the flip side, 
you, you go to BYU and you go, yeah, we're going to take the exact game plan that Boise State used. We're going to implement that, and we're going to lean on Utah State. We're going to be physical with them, and we're going to we're going to not turn the ball over and 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 go after them. So I I actually anticipate that both teams will play a little bit better, with the exception of the first quarter. I think it'll just be a little bit of like filling each other out, figuring out what they're going to do, and then then I think it'll be a fun football game to watch. So you're calling it. Blake Anderson needs to start Peasley, huh? No, that's a, <laughs> no, you know PK. No, no, don't listen. I don't know listen. You okay, you get, he doesn't. You, you try to get you try to get people to 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 break down. Yeah, try to get them to say, "I hate that school. I can't yep. stand that." School. I I see what you're doing here. I'm I'm an old veteran. I'm I'm actually turning <laughs> into an old person. <laughs> I love that. Twenty-four. I love that. Hot Rod used to always say the young rookie. <laughs> it drove me nuts. And you're the old veteran. Hey, he just said <laughs> they saw a weakness with the South Florida quarterback running around, and Peasley has that ability. The guy's got a big time motor. So wouldn't that logically lead to the question? Do you think they should start Peasley? And then he attacks me. <laughs> I'm. Somehow I'm feeling bad for Jackie right now because I feel like something just got like wrapped into this conversation that wasn't there. <laughs> Jeez. Why even try? Why? <laughs> just throw your hands up in the air. I already it's so, did. It's such hard work. It's hard work. Jeez. So much for being an inquisitive reporter. And I, I think one of the things that I love about this game is there's a lot of good quarterbacks. I I have been very impressed with the first and second string quarterback at both BYU and Utah State, and I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Peasley, and you got to give a, a lot of credit to Baylor Romney. Those two guys, and, and it's not an easy position to be in, they have been ready to go whenever their number has been called. And so if, if Utah State does do that, or if or if, or if BYU feels like that Jaron Hall's not ready to go, I, I think we're still going to see high-quality quarterbacking out of out of both schools. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. Uh, is BYU's offense that good, and they were holding back some stuff uh, just because they didn't need it, and they were trying to shorten games, and they had the lead? Or that deep passing game we saw, was that a function of the opposition or the change in, at quarterback? What, what was it? Because all of a sudden BYU's <laughs> throwing the ball over the top and making big plays. Well, I personally feel like, I mean, look, I, I, there must have been something in the South Florida game plan that they saw just to call those plays. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I was very impressed with Baylor Romney. And I know, I know people are going to like, like, shake their heads when I make this comparison, but I feel like he's a college version of Joe Montana. I mean, he wears number 16. He's he's deceivingly fast. He's very accurate on the deep ball, and I was just way impressed, and I have been since Baylor's been in the program. I know that we all fall in love with these running quarterbacks, but Baylor Romney's kind of a throwback to, to, the, to the typical pocket quarterback that we all loved and, and grew to love back in the 90s and the, and the early 2000s, right? He's, I mean, his accuracy on the deep ball is off the charts. Just let me give you an example here. When, when, I, when I coached and when I played, I really felt like 
I needed to be up in the 70 to 80 to 90% on all these short balls, right? So these quick hitches, these little bubble screens. And we didn't do as much of that when I was playing as when I was coaching, right? But I wanted my quarterbacks to be at an extremely high percentage on those so that we could get defenses to scoot up a little bit, scoot up a little bit, scoot up a little bit. And then I was super happy. This is the, this is the honest truth. I was super happy if we were like two for four on a deep ball in a game or if we were three for six. I felt like, man, we were really efficient in the deep game. And to see him throw the ball and just put on the money on these wide receivers, I, I thought it was really impressive, especially for being his first start in a while. And, uh, I, I mean, my, my, my hat goes off to him. I, I think he's a very accurate quarterback and a very capable quarterback. I can't say enough good things about Romney. And I, I like the way Jaron Hall was playing. So I don't – it doesn't make me feel better if Jaron Hall doesn't play. I'll put it that way as a Utah State fan. So you're saying if given the opportunity to full-time be a full-time starter, Romney can be better than Detmer? Better than Ty Detmer? See, this is, is this where we're going again? We're I'm asking. <laughs> is he a better think, passer I, than Jaron Hall? I, well, you said Detmer. So I, I know, I'm I, just kidding. I now think, I'm being serious. Is think, he a better passer a better, than Hall? I think he's a better pure passer than Hall. I think Hall brings other... I also sure. think Hall's a very good passer, but I think Hall brings a couple of other things to the table... So I can see why he's been named as the starter. So I, I would have, I probably would have done it the same way. But and then again, I got to point out just the ability of Aaron Roderick to develop quarterbacks right now. I mean, listen, this quarterback was prepared for that last game, and he knew exactly where he's supposed to go with the ball. Um, a lot of times when I'm watching a quarterback play, I'll try and just watch his body language after he throws the ball. I can almost always tell you whether it's a completion or not. I call it. I call it confidence throws. Like when you see a quarterback throw the ball, there's kind of a body language and just like a reaction to the throw in the way his body looks after he throws the ball that that can tell you without looking downfield whether it's going to be a completion or not. And there was an extremely high amount of confidence throws from Baylor Romney. To me, that indicates that he knows the offense. He's been prepared during the week, and he knows where he's supposed to throw the ball. So who's going to win that game in Logan Friday night? So uh, I've been thinking a lot about this as I'm, uh, you know, knowing that I was going to come on this phone call. I think it is really, really important for BYU to kind of like out BYU Utah State. Like they need to be the physical team. I think James Empey and the boys up front. They really need to lean on Utah State early. They need to they need to get a couple of scores early to give Utah State some doubt. And they really need to lean on them, not turn the ball over, play this really high-quality defense they've been able to play if they want to win. If Utah State wants to win, first of all, they need to break off the, the cobwebs of last game, and they need to get into the end zone in the first quarter, hopefully a couple of scores for Utah State in the first quarter, and turn this game into a game where it's a high-scoring affair. I think, I think the edge leans to Utah State. If this becomes a high-scoring affair, I think the edge is to BYU if it's a ball control, like limit turnovers type of game. But I think if, if Utah State gets in a shootout like they did against Air Force, if they get in a, you know, a situation where they have to score a lot of points and they're able to score a lot of points, I think they're a scary team because they get really, really confident as the game goes on. 
And if BYU comes out and really just leans on them and hammers them at the first part of the game and then continues that, I think that's going to be hard for Utah State to overcome. So you went, you got your certification, I don't know what to call it. What you get your certification in? What would it be? How would you phrase it? So my degree is in sport and performance psychology. They call me a mental performance coach or a sports psychology consultant. Okay, so with that in mind, obviously Utah has had two major, major tragedies in the span of nine or ten months. Now, from the football perspective, which to a degree seems irrelevant, but nevertheless they've got games to play, if they were to employ you, given the tragedy that uh, befell, the, befell the program last week, what would you do? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really nuanced question, and there's a lot of moving parts to that with, sure. you know, over 100 guys on a team. Yeah. But I would, I would say this. Uh, I think it's a good thing that there's a bye week this week, and I think it's a good thing for the players to be able to um, maybe sit down and go through just just some gratitude exercises. There's so much as far as the science and the research goes as far as gratitude goes, and that's not – that's not being a church lesson, but being grateful for what you have, being grateful for the relationships that you have, being grateful for the relationships that you have had. Um, it can build self-esteem. It can help with trauma. Gratitude is really, really good with trauma, which this situation is going to be a trauma to a lot of these players. And then what I would probably focus on as far as performance, and once we've had a chance to, like, Sort of, you know, I mean, none of them are going to go through the full process of grieving this week, but sort of be able to acknowledge the grieving and the gratitude and the things that they have. Then what I would be very, very specific about if I was working with an individual player is, is really just getting through each day and, and having a focus on each practice where you just kind of reduce everything to like one thing that I'm going to work on today or one thing that I'm going to try and get better at today instead of overwhelming yourself with all the things that you need to do because what can what can happen in these situations is when when emotions take over the frontal lobe and when emotions and grief are are overtaking your body it becomes <clears throat> difficult to focus and it becomes difficult to not uh feel and see and hear all the voices that are going on in your head and so there's going to be a lot of – it pulls you in a lot of different directions. And so the best way to help someone to focus is just to have them focus on one thing a day or one thing in practice or one thing in the next hour. Just really simplify a lot of the things that are going on. I, my heart goes out to these players. This is this is heavy stuff, right? Yeah. This is someone that was, like, in the locker next to you. This is someone you were joking with last week. This is someone that you were celebrating with after the game last week. And – you know, the finality of it is very, very real. And so my heart goes out to the program. My heart goes out to those players, especially because if you ask any football player that I know that's played Division One football, high school football, junior high football, to a T, um, they don't all miss the practices, but they sure miss their friends and they sure miss those relationships. And so that's where this becomes really, really heartfelt and, and really, really hard for these players is those, those relationships – I mean, some of the football players I played with, I mean, we haven't seen each other in years. We'll see each other at a football game, and we're joking in the exact same manner. It's like we haven't even missed a beat. And that's some of the things that I miss the most, and, and that's one of those things that you feel like is taken away um, when a tragedy like this happens. So uh, since you said it was so nuanced, I'm curious one of the nuances 
because this group of people has gone through this now twice in less than a year, almost almost nine months to the day, does that add a whole nother level to it? I mean, you talk about PTSD and that. I, I, I would think that that's got to be even more brutal. And, and one standalone event like this would be brutal, but to have two in a month seems like no a, another level. No question it's another level. And I think one of the things that I think about in, in this is, look, not everybody was best friends with this guy, right? And not everybody was best friends with Ty Jordan. And I don't mean that that you don't like him, but there's there's different people that you hang out with more on a team, especially in a team that size. Um, and so there's all there's all sorts of guilt, there's all sorts of shame and different things that happen to people in the sense that like, why am I not feeling worse about this? Or there's just all these nuanced parts of grief where we have this picture of what grief is supposed to look like for us. And then when it doesn't look like that picture, we wonder if something's wrong with us, right? And we wonder if something's wrong with our systems. And typically, there's nothing wrong with the people that are grieving. They're just grieving in different ways. And then there's the whole interlaced and nuanced picture of feeling like other people should grieve the same way that you grieve, right? And, and looking at that and making judgments on other people on, on whether they're grieving the way you think they should grieve. And so that's where it gets really nuanced, right? And then when you make your own comparison to yourself, like why did I feel worse about Ty's death than I do about Aaron's death? Or why do I feel worse about this one than I did about the last one? Or do I, or do they feel the same? It, it just becomes confusing and sometimes difficult to unpack. That's, that's, that's why it's nuanced, right? Is there's just a lot of different feelings that go into this. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for letting me come on the show, man. Um, hey, one, I got one. I do have one more thing for you on a much lighter okay, note than we okay. just hit there. Uh, I am curious because you've gone to so many Utah State games. We've got a question here about what BYU fans should expect if they go to Logan for the game, you know, and if they've gone to Utah and all that. And it came down to uh, some Aggie fans uh, and, and BYU fans being upset that both are church members, but they're at each other's throats over the rivalry. How does that work in the Cache Valley? Utah State fans getting upset with the BYU fans who live in the Cache Valley because you live there. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting. I mean, you have to remember, you know, I, just I grew up not far from the campus. I mean, I was like three or four blocks from the campus in Logan, and then um, I moved to Salt Lake when I was fourteen. But I mean, there's professors, there's there's people who are members of the Mormon Church who graduated from BYU or right there in the Cass Valley, and it is it is a little bit of a source of contention. There is some. There is some resentment in Cache Valley for people who live in Logan that are BYU fans. They're, 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 it's palpable. And I remember, I remember just knowing as a young kid who the BYU fans were in the neighborhood that lived in Logan. And it was like, huh, I wonder why, why do they do that? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, and then there was my, my own thought processes where I really cheered for BYU at every game except for Utah State growing up. And, um, you know, as far as, like, um, the, 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 the competition or the thought process of that going on in the stadium, I mean, look, Utah State doesn't have as many fans as the University of Utah, but they're passionate, and they're, they're very emotional about their team. So I don't expect to be 
you know, like a level down, like, oh, we're going to be super, super, like, super kind if, if Utah State's getting beat really bad up there. But I also think that Utah State fan in and of itself, they, they try to be kind to the opposing teams. But the BYU game, it just kind of it, it amps it up a little bit. The emotions will be on the sleeves of Utah State fans, no question about it. Thank you, Riley. We appreciate it. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More on the question of the day. If you're just joining us, we will get to that coming up. A lot of you uh, weighing in on this, can visiting BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? We'll get to that. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach at BYU, Kalani Sataki. I got to tell you, Coach, if I would have had these built bars when we were at BYU, I would have got better grades. You know, Hans, whenever I hear the word hangry, I think the definition of it should be your picture. Because when you were in college and you were hungry, you were probably the worst guy to hang out with. And we just knew that to throw you something to eat and you would be in a better mood. Imagine if you would have just had all these protein bars available to you, you would never have a day of being angry at all. You had a great grades and you would have had a great experience overall because we know one thing, when Hans is hungry, watch out. Everybody tread lightly. I'm hungry! Hans and Scotty weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join Scotty and Hans from 10 to 2, Friday at Mountainland Supply in Far West, 3142 North, 2000 West. It's the Mountainland Supply Tool and Safety Tailgate Party. Save hundreds on tools and safety gear. Grab a burger and a dog at the Tool and Safety Tailgate Party. That's Mountainland Supply, 3142 North, 2000 West in Far West. I would advise you to grab a burger or a dog. I'm doing both just to spite you. Yuck, yuck, yuck. You want to be yucking on heaven's door quicker than you think? I lost 40 pounds. I'm good. Right. Watch that cholesterol. Don't blow it now. Watch that cholesterol, big guy. Yeah, don't watch it rise. I don't want you to be yawking on heaven's door. Nor does my wife. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, until I quit, then, you know, I don't care as much. But for now. Gee, thanks. (laughs) I care. You know, entirely for selfish reasons, but I care. Hey, better than not caring at all, is it not? See, silver lining. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I am. (laughs) A burger or a dog. (laughs) (laughs) You choose one. It's like people who drive in multiple lanes on a freeway. We don't care which one you choose, just pick a lane. Yeah, try to pick the one I'm not in. Oh, irregardless, nope, I can adjust. Nope. Twice in the last month, someone's been changing lanes. I'm right here. Hello. Did you beep? Flip them off? I, uh, I did beep. I did, did not flip them off. Them off. I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to flip them off, but they were slightly in front of me and wouldn't have seen it. I mean, they weren't seeing me in the first place. That's why they were coming into the lane. A couple of weeks ago, probably about a month ago. Grab the wheel and hit the horn. I was golfing at Hovel Creek, right? And that's up in the canyon down there. It's probably got a canyon name that I don't know. Yeah. yeah, Hobble Creek Canyon. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Congrats. hey So you're coming out of the parking lot, right? And it's that one lane. It's a one road, so it's a each direction. Well, they're having a car show somewhere back up there. And so all these you know, older model, very nice, obviously, mm-hmm. are coming by, right? Got your Model Ts? Your Model As? Uh, I don't think it's that old, but 
you know, nineteen fifty cat. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. You, you've seen car shows. Absolutely, we all have. And so when you look, when you're coming out of the parking lot, you look to your right, and it's kind of an uphill a little bit. So you're not sure if there's a car right there because it's turning and it's uphill. So you really got to be careful, right? So I ease out a little bit, and here comes this dude, <laughs> some old, really nice car. <laughs> so I, I ease uh, out, but I stop because I see him coming. And as he gets right by me, he flips me off. <laughs> Dude, I eased out. I thought I was appropriate, being safe. I didn't go in front of you, and he flips me off. <laughs> nice relaxing day in Hollow yeah. Canyon with my with my sixty year old car that I treasure, wash and wax twice a month. Hey! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Bring the thunder! You just went Eli Manning on Monday night. It just night. shocked me, though, because I just went out a little, not even half on my side of the divider. Yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. you're not even No, near because it. you had to go out. If you've been, people have been to Hopper Creek, you know what I'm talking about. you got to look to your right, and it, it, it comes up, it's on incline, so you don't have a full, like, 40, 50, 60-yard view. Right. <laughs> I thought I was being responsible. Hold back. And plus, I got my wife's in the car, so, you know, you got to look around the other person, mm-hmm. right? And then she leaned back to make it easier. Because it is, it's a little dangerous deal there. And the guy flips me off. And just, people in Utah, in Utah County. Your stereotypes are dangerous. Well, I know. I love that. <laughs> Something happens. Oh, well, yeah, that's Utah. What they're saying is those, you know, those you know what Mormons. I mean, it could have nothing to do with the Mormons, but that's what we say. Oh, that's Utah. We just. Could you imagine doing that to another community? But uh, nevertheless, I just I was shocked. And you're right. He's my brother. <laughs> Sing it. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, heavy. And I mean, he was a little light on the light side. You're right. Uh, but he's my brother. I mean, that's the way we need to look at people. You know what I mean, brother? Can I borrow some money? <laughs> <laughs> Can visiting BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? Uh, forever. 22 forever at Salt Lake Jake. This is stu- such a stupid tweet, Deej. Got many likes now. Don't ever call him Deej. He doesn't like being called Deej. I don't know what it is about Deej, but he doesn't like it. I tried it early. He doesn't like it. I honored the wish, so I don't do it. <laughs> uh, Ray says, other people don't think it's stupid. Other people see the tension in daily life, especially in the Cash Valley. Ray says, I've been a BYU fan all my life in Cash Valley. The only thing I don't understand is the hate for BYU. I understand cheering for your team, but I don't understand the hate, especially from members of the church. Hashtag cheer for your team. And Chad at U-State underscore Chad says, well, if you could put yourself in an Aggies fan's shoes, you'd see the constant mocking, teasing, and talking down to from BYU fans that is a large source of that hate. Hmm. If you put it that way... (laughs) Nobody likes to be talked down to. Hey, I got a few free minutes. Could you lecture me, PK? <laughs> yeah, lecturing. That's what media has turned into these days. Lecturing, it's but a lecture. Lecturing and talking down. Click. First cousins. Get out. Yeah, and I'm guilty of that myself a thousand times over in my personal life, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, I guess if that's the case, 
that would create animosity for sure. Spencer says both places, good and bad experiences, but my worst was from the dairy farm. And Dale said, well, maybe if you had more respect than to refer to it as the dairy farm in a condescending way, they would treat you better. I guess it makes some sense if you're vegan and support PETA. PETA Tonga? People for the ethical treatment of animals. Well, who would be for the unethical treatment of animals? (laughs) Well, people who make money off them and keep them caged. A caged animal. Oh, man. Isn't that what... Thousands of pigs herded into a very tight space. Isn't that what the Aggies feel like? I'm really curious to see how they respond because that was a just a woolly disappointing effort. I don't know if they would have won without the errors, but they certainly could have had a better opportunity. And to have 300 plus yards of total offense at zero points is literally unheard of. I can't recall any time of hearing that. So these guys should come out like wounded, caged animals or whatever you want to say. That's why I'm. They got I'm, something to prove. Yeah, I'm I mean so they got something to, watch to prove. This game. It's frustrating, and it's easy for them to say we should have been better than that. They should have. Now maybe, yeah. maybe not good enough to win. Not good enough to win, and maybe the opposition has something to do with how good you are or aren't. Nah, and not you acknowledge field goals that and from take 30 that, yards. right? And you acknowledge and take that into decision, but. Hey boys, you won the game. You're a competitor. Deep down, you're thinking, we're better than that. We have better better than that. that. That, They've showed better than that. I believe they're better than that. So to be the next team coming up, you got to have your guard up. Because you ought to be thinking you get that super focused, super high energy effort. Well, this is the old days for BYU. And what's good about the old days is I think the old days are returning. Because I think when you're playing some of these teams that are on BYU's schedule, Middle Tennessee State and East Carolina, nothing there. Nope. Uh, but now you've got something that is there. It's Utah State, BYU. It is There is something there, and I think they will develop something there going forward the year after next when they start the Big 12 play. Because once you get into conference play— And the thing about it, too, what's going to be cool about this is it's going to be an entirely brand new conference. It's not just going to be Colorado and Utah added to the pool of 10 members that have been together for 40-plus years. Four newbies and two gone, although for the people who've been in the league a long time, it may feel more like four gone or six. I mean, they've had half half the league is gone over 30 years. So it's a new day on the Big 12. And... There's going to be a level of excitement there for sure. I mean, most definitely. And so this is what you're going to get a taste of it Friday night. And it's what BYU, what they are now literally recruiting to, because everyone they're recruiting to now is being recruited to the Big 12. And I already know that that has responded in a small degree to getting people excited about going to BYU. Is getting And I've talked to guys... Uh, related to BYU as far as that goes. And they've got some guys that have committed, maybe haven't announced a decommit, but are decommitting. And so they're open more so to BYU, whereas just very last year, and this is is a fact, I don't know if they're going to get these kids, but this is what was told to me, that last summer, somebody's kids out there who showed no interest in BYU, are now showing interest. That's totally believable. Now, whether they get them or not, I don't know. And it'll be case by case and probably get some and not get others. But 
football, 85 scholarship guys, and then walk-ons on top of that. So you got to figure that the Big 12, the brand... It's the Big 12! It's the Big 12, brother. The brand (laughs) is going to do exactly what you say. It's going to open doors. It's what Kyle went through with the Pac-12. He said, we're getting into doors. Now they can get all those guys, but they're getting into doors we never got in before. People are willing to listen. Big 12. <laughs> well, to add to that, PK, I actually heard just last night that there's a local player who was pretty much destined to go out of state who's got a renewed interest in BYU, A, because they're playing well, and also B, because they're going to be powerful. Yeah, and I already told you who that kid was last week. No. Yes. Like that. that kid's got interest, I think, too. Yes. But Yak was talking about somebody else. Not that you're wrong. He was talking about somebody I understand. Else. Yeah. But that's. I mean, I told him about a kid last week. Yes. yes. Yeah, I know about that one. I'm not you, saying sure. it was this kid. I'm saying, yeah, and that's good. That's good for them. And that's why these next couple of years are huge because you have the possibility to go into this deal with a ton of momentum. Momentum that I honestly didn't think possible 18 months ago. Nobody. 24 months ago. Nobody did. The people who did are lying. They have a chance to win 30 games in three years. I don't know if they'll pull it off, but they got a shot. And when you, win, when you can walk into somebody's house, it's like you were saying earlier this morning about 10%, one out of 10. You know, one out of 13, not so easy. But one out of 10, you can get. And 30 in three years, and maybe it'll be 28, and maybe 33. We'll see how it plays out. 28's still pretty good. Yeah, but th- if you can walk into good. a recruit's house, or into the football coach's office. House. I like the way you said that. Walk into a recruit's house. <laughs> An offensive lineman. He's mighty, mighty. Let it all hang it. It's a good recruiting pitch. We're going to the yeah. Big 12, and we've won 30 games in three years. Oh, yeah. As a, as a recruiting pitch goes, that's a great place to start. There's no way. I would have thought this has changed like it has. And nobody would have predicted that sitting here in the summer. And we of, owe it uh, all to Jack Tuttle. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Actually, when you think about it. I will explain it. that next. <laughs> DJ PK at 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. Kalani Sataki and BYU take their undefeated record to Logan for a showdown against the Aggies. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with a Cougar preview show. Friday at 6 on 97.5 FM with the post-game show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK reminding you, Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscape, and irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, we've been discussing the question of the day. And asking, can BYU fans expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State fans? BYU is up in Logan Friday night. Catholic Matt joins us now. Longtime BYU fan. Longtime Sports Talk radio listener and caller. Catholic Matt, I'm thinking you've been in a lot of visiting stadiums. What is that? 
He's been listening so long that that was cutting edge at one time. <laughs> I, I, know. I don't know. I'm an idiot. I like it, though. Whatever. Well, I do, too. You know, I, you know what? There's two, two sides to this. I remember many years ago when I was living in Utah County and I had season tickets to BYU, Georgia Tech came to, to, to play at, uh, well, yeah, I guess at the time it was Little Albert Stadium. Um, I got in the face of a Georgia Tech fan. I was young. I was an idiot. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I've been, I've, you know, I've said some stupid stuff. I've been on message boards and written stupid stuff. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to own it. It is it is what it is. Uh, I like to think that I've grown up a little bit. Uh, if I were to go to the Utah State BYU game, I would just go to watch my team. Yeah. Uh, I would like to think so. I really would. And, and if a if a Utah State fan got in my face or was uh, talking cracks or anything, I you know I don't know. I would just I would do my best to try to ignore it. I would like to think I would. I will also share this. I have, DJ, I have been in the Rose Bowl when BYU played UCLA not too long ago. And uh, UCLA fans, I was over by the student section with my wife, and they, they were, you know, F the Mormons, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, I just looked at them like, you guys are freaking morons. I don't, I don't get that. I really don't get it. You know, whatever. If that makes you feel good at the end of the day, then great. But people want to talk about being hypocrites and stuff. We're all hypocrites, bro. Every one of us. I don't care if you're an Aggie, a Ute, or a Coot. Uh, we've all done something stupid. I'm sure there are some out there that have never done it. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are. There's some good people that just want to watch their team and whatever. And so, yeah, I've been in other stadiums. I've been treated well in other stadiums. Uh, Nebraska fans are very cool people. <laughs> probably the best fans I've ever been around. If I could be any fan, it would probably be a Nebraska fan or like, like a Nebraska fan. Nothing but respect, uh, right. at least to me anyway. All right, Catholic so, Matt, we appreciate it. we got to run. we got a guest coming up on the other side. But thanks for your call. We appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Catholic Matt, longtime BYU fan, joining us here on 97. Notre Dame really knows how to treat visiting fans, too. They've got a lot of people at the stadium that are there to welcome you and make sure everything is okay. Had one of my best visiting yeah. fan experiences there. I've seen that uh, firsthand. Obviously been back there multiple times. Luke Robitaille, L.A. Kings team president, going to join us with the Kings coming to town. We'll talk with Luke Robitaille next. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Luke Robitaille, L.A. Kings team president. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Best State Award winner Smart Rain is having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller. Purchased offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Luke joining us with the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights getting ready to play an exhibition game Thursday night. TNT's going to televise the thing. TNT getting in on the hockey. Luke joins us now. Luke, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, guys. Bring How in are the, you today? Doing well. You're bringing the NHL to Utah. And uh, although we never met, I understand you have spent a considerable amount of time in Utah and have ties to the Utah area. He owns property, doesn't he? And, yeah, and can speak to Utah yeah. a little more than the average NHL person. Yeah, I know the area pretty well. The Heber Valley, you know, the whole area there. And been there for many years, so love it there. So, Wasatch or Ledges or Promontory, where do you play? Uh, well, I played them all. <laughs> I played them all. <laughs> Not well, and I visited, like, all the sides, side to side. <laughs> so, I got to share a little funny story with you. I, was, I used to work for the South Bay Daily Breeze based out of Torrance in the 90s. And yeah. uh, and we played. Uh, I played softball, and the Kings had a team. Jim Fox was on the team, and we always used to like to beat them over there at Wilson Park in Torrance. But uh, so I worked in the sports department, and I think it was the year that you guys went to the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. What was that ninety three? So we had our yeah, hockey. 93. Yeah, our hockey guy wrote a big feature on you, and we had the headline. And the the headline, the guys on the desk wrote the headline: Luke of the Draw was kind of a play on your name. But some dumb editor changed it to luck of the draw, and it really ticked off the guy who wrote the headline and the guy who wrote the story. I'm sure you don't remember it, but that's one thing that I remember from the 90s for Luke Robitaille. Every time I hear the phrase luck of the draw, I think of Luke Robitaille and how the editor changed that headline. So, do you think he brought in bad luck to our organization? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> I don't know. I know you haven't been in the playoffs, I think, for three years. So, what what is the level of optimism going into this season? Uh, for us, uh, you know, in, in the NHL, having a hard cap, it's uh, we had a really good run in, uh, you know, around 2011 till about 2015-16. And then uh, we just ca- had to rebuild our team. We had to uh, to just go back to the draft and so forth. So we've been kind of loading up the last two, three years. We have a number one pool of prospect coming into our organization. So we're excited. This is the first year that we said, okay, we're turning the page. We're done with the rebuild. So we signed a couple free agents this summer. We made a trade and uh, – so our guys, our veterans are excited because we're getting in some new fresh blood coming in. We've had the number two overall last year drafted uh, in Quinton Byfield. And uh, so we're excited. This is like our time for us to turn the pages to getting back into being competitive. It's not like the NBA where you could get two guys and then yeah. you co- you're competitive and then the third guy you're pretty much sure to be in the top four or five. Right. It's a little harder. But I do think in all the salary cap leagues that there has to be a certain understanding, and baseball, you set that aside because they're not capped, but in the salary cap leagues, a certain understanding that you go for it for a while, and you guys won it all, you yeah. wasted the cup in 2012 and 2014, and the year in between you were in the conference final, and is it, but from the fan perspective and also inside the organization, the good times are good. Now you've only played two playoff series in seven years, and you lost them both. Yeah. But it's the salary cap, and there are cycles. Is it worth it, or the downtime's so bad you're like, oh man, this is killing me? Or, or can you kind of no. convince yourself, hey, the uptimes are worth it, and we're rebuilding. It's okay. There's nothing like winning a championship, guys. I mean, the, the fans will remember forever. They 
they live with you forever, and it, it, it's amazing. Uh, I think, yeah, we, we look back now, we're like, man, we haven't done much the last six, seven years. But there was a time that we still had hope for two, three, four years. Probably the one mistake that we made that we learned along the way is uh, to, unfortunately, in this kind of cap era, you, you, you know, fans fall in love with players because you, when you win a championship, they become heroes. And at some point, probably it's, it's, it's easier for them and for the organization to say goodbye earlier to some of the guys because you just can't keep everybody. You can't sign everybody to what the, the amount of money they deserve to be able to, to stay competitive for a longer period of time. And that's what makes it really hard in a, in a hard cap era. I know your coach so far in the preseason game, McClellan's been playing a lot of youngsters. And What should the fans expect when they come to the arena to see the game against Las Vegas? Oh, I, well, tomorrow for us, we've got most of our roster. We've got a ton of guys playing. So we're, we're, we're going down today on our roster. We're, we're, we're having a few cuts. So, you know, they should expect to see our top guys. They, they're going to expect to see some of our top prospects. So it's going to be a fun game. And, and also, funny enough, I mean, Vegas has been so competitive. They've done such a great do- job with their franchise. They're already a huge rival of ours. So those games are always super intense. So they should, they should expect a great game tomorrow. I mean, Vegas is a great, great team, great organization. So it's going to be a lot of fun for that game tomorrow. So when you go, and I don't know how often you go on the road with the team, but if you go on the road to Vegas for a Kings game, I, I mean, I grew up in San Diego and lived in Southern California for a long time, and Vegas was always, well, in San Diego, we'd call them a bunch of L.A. wannabes, <laughs> to be honest. They were a bunch of L.A. wannabes. So I assume you still have a Kings fan base there. There's certainly transplants there. So is it like a 70-30 crowd when you go to Vegas, or is it is it all Golden oh. Knights and you don't hear Kings fans? Oh, no. I mean, it, it's amazing. You're right. We played there, you know, preseason games for about 15 years straight, and we get our fans to come down. We had a huge base. None of them are Kings fans, I think. They're all Vegas Golden Knights fans. It, it's amazing. They have a great crowd. They support them. They follow them. There'll probably be quite a few of them tomorrow. It's, uh, they've done an amazing job at, at making sure they, they have their following with them. And it's been fun. It's kind of funny. We, we, we gained a lot more hockey fans, probably lost a few Kings fans for us, but I think it's good for our game. Yeah, up here, too, and getting exposure to NHL right here in our city so the fans don't have to travel out of state. They can get it right here by coming into downtown. This is the third time that the Kings have been playing here since uh, 2018. Is this something that you're looking to continue? Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking with the folks at the arena with the, the Jazz. So they've been they've been tremendous partners. We're really happy, and uh, we know we're coming back for the next couple of years. But we'd love to keep that going. It's just been a lot of fun, and I think the game with Vegas makes it a lot of fun too. The both teams are pretty close, so it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing tomorrow tomorrow night's crowd. So obviously, as an expansion team in Seattle, uh, there have also been teams moving. So, what do you think is the future for the NHL? Is there more expansion coming? How do you, how do you think this is going to play out? Or you need to keep those markets open in case another team needs to move? Uh, I, I I'm not seeing uh, like another expansion in the, in the near future in our league. There could be a couple teams that moves. You never know. You know, we we haven't had. Uh, 
too many people moving. I mean, so the Islanders moved just the arena, but not uh, in, a, in a city. But that was it. And I don't foresee a lot happening as far as movement of our franchise in the next few years. Oh, so we, th- we're starting to get a lot more stability, yeah. You think Phoenix is, is settled? Uh, no, the, that's the one uh, I was going to say. The, that's the one that's the not sure, but we keep hearing that they're getting closer and closer to get an arena right. in uh, either Scottsdale or Tempe in that area. So yeah. we, we keep hearing, like we were just there the other day and they're talking about uh, it should be an announcement soon, and I don't know when that's going to be, though. Luke Robitaille joining us, the LA Kings team president, and the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights have an exhibition game at Vivint Thursday night if you want to go see some NHL preseason hockey. I'm curious, uh, obviously you know because you're in the Hebrew Valley and you know how big a deal the Jazz are here and what the Olympics have done for basketball. There's been some back and forth, and now it looks like the NHL players are in the next Olympics how does that hurt the NHL season stop in midseason? How does it help it? What is the as a as an ex player and now the team president? What is the give and take from the business side and the hockey side over something like that? Well, funny enough, from the business side, you you never really like to stop the season, especially if you have momentum. Um, but but you can adjust to it. Like I mean, it, it depends how your team's doing. The one thing you hope is you you won't get your star to go there and get hurt because that, that could really flip your season. But uh, from a hockey side, it's been good. It's been good for us to go in, in the Olympics. I don't know how the time change is going to make the, the, the availability of the games this year. But on this deal, our players really wanted to go. It's, it's, it's always been clear that uh, when we uh, sign a new collective bar- bargaining agreement that the players they wanted that option to go to the Olympics, and they were the ones that wanted to go. So, if they really want to go, well, we're fine with that. You know, it should, it should be a fun tournament. That means the guys are going to take it real seriously. So, I'm down in Vegas a lot for for personal reasons, and the amount of uh, popularity that the kind of, wait a minute, what kind of personal? <laughs> nothing to do with gambling. <laughs> not, not, nothing more family, okay. more family issues, <laughs> uh, or circumstances, not issues, but circumstances. Okay. Uh, so it's all clean. It's all above board. I promise you. Okay, uh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> and so, with that in mind, I mean, I have seen the popularity of the Knights just explode. And it's really incredible. It's been a smashing success. And, of course, they've had a lot of success on the ice very quickly. And you've already alluded to it And for an expansion team and all that. What do you think has been some of the reasons for them to be able to hit the ground running to find success as far as a competitive team? Well, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the competitiveness of it, like, first of all, their GM at the time, George McPhee and now Kelly McCrimmon, they've done a tremendous job. They were very strategic, like our expansion draft changed so that you were for sure they were going to get a good player from each team. So they took full advantage of it. Some teams wanted to keep some players, so they made trade. They gave extra picks and so, so forth. So they got a lot of assets to start with, and they made sure – they took full advantage of it. And then the other thing regarding the city itself is when they started, if you remember, there I think it was like a week and a half before their opener, there was the unfortunate event, the shooting there yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. And it was horrible. So no, we didn't know if the season was going to start at the time and so forth. The one thing about hockey players is they 
they do a lot off the ice. They give a lot. Guys, like the hockey players, are known to be good guys and so forth. So no one knew any of those players, but everybody, they, they threw a jersey on all of them, and they visited everyone in each hospital in the city. And I think that had a huge impact. It gave, whether you could call it hope or they got to talk with some of the people that were, you know, in, in, in tough condition. They got to talk to the uh, the first responders and so forth. And then right away it seemed to have an impact that people understood in Vegas that when you have a team, they can make a difference. They started raising money for people and so forth. And they, I don't know if you guys saw the opening night, but they had like a, all first responders yeah. coming on the ice with right. each player when they when they announced them, and it, it just had this impact. And then to make matters even better for them, I think they won four, out of forty-one games at home. They won thirty-two that year, some some crazy number like that. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, they they just seemed like they couldn't lose. They had that momentum, and they just right away catapulted the, the whole franchise. It was amazing. Luke Robitaille joining us, uh, L.A. Kings team president. How, uh, quote-unquote, back to normal is the NHL going to be? Obviously, with the pandemic, everything was scrambled. Canadian teams playing each other, didn't have the traditional uh, divisions, and we could go on and on with all the differences. How how close to normal is the NHL season going to be? Well, the season will be there, but it's not, you know, our normal now is different. You know, we got to wear masks and people... You check vaccination, you check tests, and so forth. It's not quite what it used to be, but we're starting to get closer to normal where fans are going to be accepted. I think 30 of out of 32 buildings will get 100% fans in our league. So at least that's going to happen. So from that standpoint, our players are looking forward to having fans in the stands and some noise because last year it was, it was really weird. Well, Luke, we appreciate you bringing a little hockey, a little event back to town and uh, hopping on the air with us for a few minutes to talk about it. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you on a golf course somewhere. Yeah, uh, hopefully I'll run into you there, okay? I'll okay. see you guys. We'll see some people tomorrow night. Thank you. All right, thank you, Luke. Luke Robitaille, L.A. Kings team president, the Vegas Golden Knights and the L.A. Kings, which I think are the two teams you'd really want to be here, right? Uh, maybe Denver, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting that you claim it's a Broncos town, but not a Rockies or an Avalanche. I, I don't know, but certainly Vegas, yeah, because every one of us has been to Vegas a million times over. There's just and so many Southern Californians here. And then you got that, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why, that's why I defaulted to the Kings. Yeah, I know, but it's why wouldn't you default to the Avs or the, to the Rams? I guess maybe they didn't Because they weren't there. Team, but they are now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're doing very, very well. Uh, so um, Vegas has just exploded with you can't go anywhere. Without seeing billboards. Yeah. Neon signs, a couple jerseys. Of years ago, I was at an outdoor concert, and it was in a hotel. It was just out, like in the, in a courtyard. They put up a stage, mm-hmm. and so you know how they have those like open bars by the pools. Mm-hmm. Well, the concert's over, and everybody turned around and was rushing to the televisions. <laughs> yes, yes. Where's the game? What's so going on? So nobody left. The show was over. They but played. everybody went to the big TVs. They ju- yeah, they just turned around. It wasn't they weren't big. They were <laughs> just you know on the wall behind the bars, and so everybody. I mean, thousands of people. It was funny to see. So it was a big line to get in, and it was no line to get out. It was no. Everyone stopped. Was a, a city that yeah. craved big time sports for a long time. 
the whole Vegas, L.A. wannabe thing. And UNLV basketball gave them a taste of that. But they got the NHL, and then they got the NFL. How much more bandwidth do they have if baseball or basketball shows up? Maybe they do. They certainly have the tourist element. So the town, I think, plays bigger than just, you know, looking at a population number. Because there are people coming through, and they're there for entertainment. Hey, let's see a show. Let's see a concert. Let's see a game. Yeah, I think it's overstated for the Raiders, though. Because you're, you're talking eight games. And it's going to be mostly on Sunday afternoon when people are traveling to go home. Yeah, but, but Raider fans, hardcore, and will travel from Oakland or L.A. or Salt Lake. 5,000? Plus they've got... Plus the, how many? The town craves the NFL. 5,000? Uh, I don't know. I'd be an interesting number. I probably would have guessed 10. It's probably the number I would have defaulted to. And that's a round number. Is it 8? Is it 12? I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, but you, you and I both lived in Southern California. And you know what the freeway's like going back to L.A. And there's a lot of Raider fans in L.A. They're going to show up for that Charger game, Monday Night Football. Oh, I that's think there's like a, a but big I game. think you can say in Denver, there's a lot of uh, Bronco fans in Wyoming, in New Mexico, in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's anything unique. I have uh, extended family who have, have Eagles season tickets and Ravens season tickets. Not that far you either apart. either go north or, or you go, go south. south. Yeah. So I'm not sure that that's that unusual because you're able to do it because you only got to do it. Eight times a year. Right. And the way the secondary market has taken off, you don't even have to do that. I mean, you could cherry pick the games that are convenient and or interesting to you. Hey, this is a big game. The state works for us. And the other ones, you can sell them in a heartbeat. I think the other sports, basketball and baseball, and even hockey, you can get the folks who are more into the tourists. I just don't know how many tourists you're going to get on a Sunday. Because if you go to the Vegas airport on a Sunday... I stopped for work. You know, I had to be down there for so much for travel when I was doing... You didn't try to fly out on a Sunday. No, I just drove. (laughs) Yeah. You got to get there two and a half, three hours early. By that time... Just drive, have your own car, have your own stuff. (laughs) Driving by the Beaver Temple. Well, you have to get off the freeway there like I did that time. And, you know, stayed there that night when the snow was coming down real nasty. And that was a basketball, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was Conference a Conference tournament. Right, yeah. That was leaving. It was in March. And What are they at now? Are they at five conference tournaments in Vegas now? I think they should move general conference to Vegas. <laughs> Yuck's giving you a thumbs up. Guys need something to do in between the sessions. I was going to say, come on. You know what I mean? Entertainment capital of the world, I guess they call it, right? Yeah. Hit a show, come back, get spiritually uplifted. Find the show with a 12 15, t- 12, 15 tip time hey, for this show. It's Vegas. <laughs> Vegas would set it, it up don't for you, sleep. Too. You know Vegas would. Vegas is open to whatever. Yeah. Right, how does this work? What do we need to do to make this work? I think we got to fill hotel rooms. Oh, all wait a basketball. Wait a minute. It's all virtual. All church conferences. Yeah. Nope, I think your good idea machine finally uh, finally uh, threw a rod there. You just, you just uh, spewing smoke. Did he out. say this is the place forever? <laughs> he just said this is the place. <laughs> right? There's a time and season uh, for everything. I do recall driving uh, during the start of the pandemic, having to be down there for family, as I said, 
And the one club that you would go to, I have never been inside. I think it was Cheetah's. And they have a marquee on the side of the freeway there on the uh, east uh, side of the freeway. And, you know, it's one of those things where they don't, you know, what do you, what do you call them? Strip clubs, I think, I guess. They don't mask up? Yeah. Well, it had a sign that said, sorry, we're fully clothed. Hey-oh. Oh, there you go. Which I thought was funny. Hey-oh. Wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> From those nights, what's that position called when you're in the, on the working night side at the, the slot? At the old newspaper, uh, you have to you have to come up with the the puns for the headlines. So you're always like, oh, "That's a good one." Yeah, I thought that was that was funny. We're fully clothed. See, the, it was like a, a the old headline writer take off of clothes. Yeah, we got clothes because they don't wear clothes. We got it. They Thanks. jitterbug to no clothes. I never understood that concept, but they tell me that's what they do. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. A lot going on this morning, and we will get you up to speed. Spend this commercial break asking yourself. Who announced they are not going to hit the panic button? That would lead to discussion. Who should hit the panic button? We'll do that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. From BYU, he's our good friend Mason Wake. What's your take on Utah State's arrival in state? Is there a little more juice to the game, or is it just the same old, same old? It's not viewed like as Utah or like a Boise State, but I mean, they're still one of our rivals. But you got to treat every game, not like it's a rival, but like it's a serious game. What do you expect? I think they play hard, especially a night game against BYU in front of their fans. Two years ago, when I first played them, they had some NFL alum there just trying to hype everyone up, but we took care of business. But we don't take any game for granted. And Anyone can beat anyone. They're going to be ready, and their fans are going to be amped. But I expect us to take care of business. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. We're not going to push the panic button. What do I mean by the panic button? You know, we're not going to dramatically change who and what we are at this juncture. Um, we're not resisted to change for the purposes of getting better. But we're not going to be so unsteady that we move away from our compass. Mike Tomlin, longtime Steelers coach. They are off to a one and two start. Not pushing the panic button. Who should push the panic button, PK? Nobody. Nobody should push the panic button. No. Because panic doesn't do you any good. A change will do you good. A change. But panic, now the thing about the Steelers and your boy, your hero, the herd, was talking about this yesterday as I was driving home. Fortunately, he wasn't talking about no state taxes in California. Uh, but he was saying that the problem with the Steelers is they have no succession plan for Big Ben. And I asked Lincoln Kennedy, who we'll have on tomorrow, about this because the Raiders played the Steelers last week if he thought Big Ben was done. And he thought he was done uh, a little bit ago, although last year they did start what eleven and zero. They were eleven and zero. Huh? So you know what's the plan? He's talking about how the Packers. You know they do have Jordan Love. Uh, it's a tough situation when you get there, because obviously Roethlisberger has been very good for a long time, but eventually it's going to wear out. And we've seen the Broncos run through quarterbacks. I couldn't even name them all. Uh, obviously Manning was done when he was done, and. And then it was a mess. There's very few Montana to Youngs and Favs to Rodgers on that way. The the I don't want to say the Packers got lucky. I mean the the Young it was set up. It was just a matter of when. You knew it was coming, right? And you pretty much knew that he was going. Young was going to be good too. 
And he was. He was a Hall of Famer. And MVP well, that's and what you that didn't stuff. know. You didn't know if he'd be very good or great. Uh, he was going to be good. See, you I, didn't think know he, I think he showed enough, though. You, you thought he was going to be an MVP and a Hall of Famer? It was it possible. No, I, to, it was possible. I thought but it, it was, was more probable than possible. Oh, really? I thought he showed enough because he had played enough, and his skill level was obvious to see. And he waited, waited, waited uh, for his time. And his career, when he got to be – and the organization was so good around him. It's not like Zach Wilson, who's Ooh. stuck in something Ooh. that you wonder, you know, how long is it going to take for them to get well, good. Well, especially when you see Sam Darnold leave and essentially be good the next day. Yeah, and I believe like, in Sam Darnold's talent, right. but that's biased but there. It's, but it goes to, well, who are the players around him? Who's the coach? And, now, the, and coach the Niners had all that. Right, the Niners did. The Niners had all so that. So you thought it was, I didn't think they were going to be any less competitive. But the, but the point is, there's so few of those. Yeah. How are the Steelers supposed to get one? I mean, when I it's try hard. to think of a third one, maybe Danny White after Roger Staubach? Decent. Right, but I'm trying to think of a better one than that. And you might be able to find some parallels. But it, it's hard when you have a Hall of Famer, and Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer in my mind. I think probably in yours too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't have it. And then I think the other thing is that the team's breaking down around them. Like Manning was clearly slipping, but they had a strong running game. They had a strong O-line. They had a good defense, so they could take some slippage at quarterback. Pittsburgh, I think it's all been on Roethlisberger. Hey, Ben, be awesome. And if he's anything less than awesome, they're in trouble. Yeah, but and he's clearly sort of like a, 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 a New England light. They reload. Right. They get guys that aren't necessarily big-time players, but they get them in a system, and they're successful. Right. But with Brady gone, and here we are. New England's taking a hit. Yeah, but it took a long time. And it's taken a long time for the Steelers. So, for me, if I'm ownership... I get with Tomlin and get with my guys and say, all right, how do we go about rebuilding this? Mike, do you want to still be coach? Yes. Then you're the coach because you've been very good for a long right. time. That doesn't need to change. And That's, so don't – because I think part of panic is firing coaches. Absolutely. We see it all the time. And it's just like, well, you're not only running in place, you're running backward. But it goes to what Luke Robitaille was talking about in a cap league. You have your guys and you do take a little bit of a hit. And you do have to rebuild. And I'm okay with that. I'm sure a Steelers fan wants to win. But as someone, I follow the Steelers because I follow all the teams. If they slip for a little bit, I'm okay with it. Because they have been so good for so long. And they've got the ultimate prize multiple times. Hard. It's very hard to do. And so now we'll see. Because this is a league that it, it almost is built into a degree. Yes, and they've only had their last losing season was two thousand three. They've had some eight and eight. That's a long time. Ago, That's a man. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good for them. But rebuild the O line. Yeah, and we're seeing it a little bit. You know, Seattle was on top of the world, and That's, then they slipped. They haven't slipped that far, but right, they've but slipped. I, they've and, slipped, and Kansas City might be doing the same thing. And I think that goes back to you had a guy who was ready to win, really young, and you did. But when he gets to his second contract, salary cap world. You can't pay everybody around him. Kansas uh, City's defense. But I don't think you need to pay. Everybody is Kansas City's him. defense good enough? That's a legit question. Yeah, with and Daniel Sorensen and Zane Anderson, maybe they can tighten up the act. But is their defense good enough? Tyron Matthew. They're yeah. giving up more than thirty points a game right now. They got to tighten up the act. That's too many points. 
Yeah, some of that's competition. Let's see how it flushes Absolutely. out after 17 Absolutely. games. Absolutely. And some of the teams that are good, it's competition. Absolutely. The Broncos haven't played anybody yet. Three 0 oh, 3 teams. I mean, they beat them. That's all you can do. Haven't played anybody? Haven't yet played. They still have three wins? Because they've beaten three 0 oh, 3 teams. That's a combined 0 oh, 9. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I, the thing about that, then, then I think it does flush out. Everybody has them. Right. In the NFL, I don't worry about scheduling because it's going to work out. You're going to have yeah. big games. Well, and they're playing the Ravens this week. The so pro sports scheduling to me is ridiculous. A couple years back with the Jazz, the hardest. Everybody plays the same teams. What the, what the crap are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, we and I realize More sometimes they play, but so what? Yeah. And when do you catch teams? Do you catch them when they're healthy or when they're not? When the yeah, guys our guys, and we got injuries, but everybody else we played was 100% healthy. Yep, all the time. I don't hear it. And when you're in the playoffs, none of that matters anyway. Get her done. Yeah. That's why this, this team bonding thing, I'm fascinated why the Jazz felt the need to do it. Because if you really wanted team bonding, you would have gone to Albuquerque. There's nothing else to yeah. do. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I see. He's going the other way. Yeah. Because it's like Vegas. Right. You can go. You there's have football. Practice. There's hockey. There's casinos. There's golf courses. There's shows. Yeah. You can go 100 different directions. Hmm. The mountains are lovely. Off in the distance, Taos. Yeah. Not here. Our mountains are right here. Yeah. They're right in your, you know, that's what's the beauty of it. They're right in your face. And you can and appreciate them uh, close by. Ten minutes, you're, you're somewhere remote, practically. It's beautiful. Uh, so, I'm fascinated by this team building concept that they're doing in Vegas, and why they felt the need to do it. What what was it? They'll tell us, but will they really tell us? Was there a business component to it? Are they taking? Well, are they taking big time sponsors down there? Is that part of it? Um, I think they would have preferred to go to Albuquerque. <laughs> If they wanted to go to Albuquerque, they would have gone to Albuquerque. If they wanted to go to Tucson, they would have gone to Tucson. They went to Vegas because they wanted to go to Vegas. And how much of it is everybody's doing it, you got to go somewhere. I didn't realize three teams had gone to San Diego, but Locke told us that. I did read about Houston going to the Bahamas. And I wish you brought you hadn't up Magic to the, and the Lakers to Hawaii. That was years ago. Sure. Brooklyn's going to San Diego, they're going cross country. They should have gone to Jersey. <laughs> gone down the shore. Just yeah, the shore. exactly. And yeah, it still can be warm enough this time of year. We're running out of days, but we're still there. Uh, but I'm interested to see you know, what this does. Why do it? What does it mean in May? Because if you don't get any benefits in May, then who cares? The people who got to go to Vegas and had fun for three days. Yeah, but they can. They, these guys got. They so had much all money. summer to go I mean, wherever. They can, they can and go if you follow them on Instagram, they do go they wherever. They go around the world a thousand times over. Just follow them on Instagram, and they'll tell yeah. you. Yep. I mean, they travel so much that I think home would be a cool place to be. When you're gone, as much as they're gone, and so many of them, they're gone. Even when they're home, right? Because this really isn't home. No, they have multiple homes. But you're spending four or five months in one place at the most in a year. Depending on how long your offseason is, how long you're in the playoffs, if there's international competition you're a part of, maybe you get to be quote-unquote home for four months. And in the NBA season, your second home, wherever you play, maybe you get to be there four months because you're on the road so much. And the the flip side, not that I'm bleeding for them by any stretch, because by the time you're 35, 40, you can be home 24-7. 
Because you, you got the got money. money, and you don't have to <laughs> nine to five in the words. And, and right. that was a long time ago, but right. that was a uh, a Brian Russell line. Right. So you can be home. I can't as nine much to five it. You can. Well, you, you he don't had to make to. his career and make it, and he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they can, if you if you manage your money wisely, there's no need for you to uh, have to worry about that stuff because you're especially now. I mean, look at the money that Mitchell's going to make. Look at the money he's already made, but now it's like whoa. I mean, it, his his money is just gonna his annual salary is just gonna be staggering. Yeah, this year because this is the year it kicks in. Right, all the guys getting off their rookie contracts, getting into their if they're good enough. If they're good enough, right. And he's obviously that's good where enough. you start hitting your twenties, your thirties, your and now even some guys are getting to forty million, not on their second and contract. He, but what is he, did he just, he just turned twenty five the other day? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. Jackpot. I <laughs> <laughs> wonder why that family's always in a good mood. <laughs> 20, 28 million for Donovan, 35 for Rudy. Yeah, Rudy's been making it for a little bit now because he's a little older. But there are now six guys making more than 12 million a year on the Jazz. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the amount of money that uh, Ryan Smith is investing, and Jay Z brought that up. During his uh, opening press conference on Monday, it's there. It's real. I'm looking at the number right now: 155 million dollars in salaries. And that I read somewhere that equates to like 38, 39 million in, in uh, salary cap. What are they? Payments, penalties. What would you? What's the luxury word? Tax luxury penalties. tax penalties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I hesitate to use the word penalty. It's just to. Because if you win it all, what pen? It's not a penalty, you <laughs> yeah, know I what know. I mean? But I think that's the I think that's the lingo. I would say payment. Yeah. It's what you owe. Forgetting the guys you get. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. Are that good and get paid and because the win the return on the investment is yeah, especially if you win it all this year. I mean, it's in, in, incalculable. And over the long term, you know, he's going to make money on the team. I don't think he bought it as a financial investment. Maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, so far out of my league to even compensate to even contemplate, uh, but he's he's putting up the bucks. You, you got to say that man, he is putting up the money for this team. Other stuff we've talked about to get you up to speed. The long rumored BYU Notre Dame game will be played October eighth, twenty twenty two. Put that right in the middle of the schedule next year. That's awesome. Tom had held one game open there. And they're not in conference play. He's going to have to start shedding games the year after. Well, well I would move every that. game to play Notre Dame and to play them there. And to me, that's plenty good enough because it's super close. Everyone can get down there who wants to be. Uh, you know, it's not a, completely as good as Provo, but it's the next best thing. I assume there's a big payday for the school there, too. Financial to be a boost for the athletic department. Typically, when you go to those neutral site games, they're writing checks. Well, whatever the the contract called for. Uh, new stadiums have tons of luxury suites. There's tons of money to be made. And BYU and Notre Dame will pack the place. It'll be an awesome environment. No, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame fans have already booked hotels in Vegas. Committed. Already. Literally, Yes. Literally already because the thing was announced yesterday. We've known about it for weeks because the Review Journal had it when we were down there uh, talking to Mark Anderson. We've had him on a show and he was telling me about it. He said, yeah, he's got to confirm. So we've known about that, but we didn't know the specific date. And now that we know the date, 
I promise you, Notre Dame fans have already booked hotels because I've heard about it. And, of course, BYU fans, they all show up day of game and leave and go back to St. George that night. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) This is going to be a big windfall for Mesquite and St. George. And there are literally Notre Dame fans everywhere. So it's not like they're all coming from Indiana or the Chicago area. They are coming from Chicago, but they're coming from Phoenix. They're coming from L.A. They're coming from Uh, Dallas. Atlanta, you name it. Wherever. 17 in a row for the Cardinals. This is shocking. Tip of the cap there. Who does that? Yeah. And to do it in September, to come roaring back and take the last National League wild card. Yeah, so I'm watching the uh, Dodger-Padre game last night on ESPN, and they're discussing should the Cardinals lose in these next few games. Now, they've clinched, and they're not going anywhere. I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers or the Giants. I don't think there's enough games. No, they're, they're, so they're, they're locked like into that 13 spot. 13 games back with five to go. The Dodgers have 101 wins, and the Cardinals have 88. Right. So and, and, but, they're the five but, but seed. I didn't mean – I meant oh. they're not going to fall out of because they've clinched. Right. They also so can't be – They yeah, can't be caught. No, they cannot be caught. what I was getting. I didn't explain the, it well. But the so, Reds and so the, the Padres So basically these games the rest of the week are tune-ups. So get your rotation so, in order. Which they will, but what do you do about the position guys uh, there? Probably depends on the guy and how they're feeling, but I would assume... But everyone's feeling great! I would assume... <laughs> we won 17 well, guys in might a row in nag- September! But guys might have nagging injuries that we don't know about. Okay... I meant more guys may want to spiritually off. feeling great when you're winning 17 oh, in a row in September. The vibe in their locker room must yeah. be spectacular. It's like we're when we're you're winning in, under incapable of losing. When you're winning under pressure, yeah. And they knew to get in. Hey, we got to be hot. There's multiple teams here. We can't back into no, this. They beat, they and they beat had some good teams. And they had ground to make up when the streak started. So I wonder if they lose today. Even if they don't rest everybody, I wonder if they'll lose just because the pressure's off and they've done it. And you just lose some of the edge. It doesn't matter the same way yeah, it did. Yeah, I don't really know what that means, lose the edge, because it's never been me. <laughs> so I, I can't relate to that. You're going to let that. the little people discuss that? I, I, yeah, so if you, yeah, I, you guys can handle losing your All edge. All you people have lost your edge and been mediocre. My edge grows, actually. <laughs> it expands. They are playing the Brewers, who are a good team in their own right. So oh, maybe definitely. the Brewers will just win just because. I mean, that's the thing about a 17-game streak. You can be good, but you still lose a game because another team hits three homers or starter comes out and it just lights out. Yeah. So we wait for the AL wild card now for them to battle that out. The Yankees look like they're in. They beat the Blue Jays 7-2. They haven't clinched yet, but they're in a good spot. But the Red Sox lost and the Mariners won. So Seattle, who's got the... Yak, you follow the Mariners. Longest uh, without a playoff appearance, right? Yep. The yeah. Bills got in, so the Mariners took that. No offense baton. to the Mariners, but I would much rather see a Yankee Red Sox. <laughs> and I get your sentiment on that, but I'm, you know me, I'm a Mariners guy, so. I mean, I got East Coast roots. Yeah, that's your I 95 bias showing through. Right I there. remember where I was when Bucky Dan hit the home run. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Where were you? Flagstaff, Arizona. There it is. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback coming up next. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach at BYU, Kalani Sataki. I got to tell you, Coach, if I would have had these built bars when we were at BYU, I would have got better grades. You know, Hans, whenever I hear the word hangry, I think the definition of it should be your picture. Because when you were in college and you were hungry, you were probably the worst guy to hang out with. And we just knew that to throw you something to eat and you would be in a better mood. Imagine if you would have just had all these protein bars available to you. You would never have a day of being angry at all. You had a great grades and you would have had a great experience overall because we know one thing. When Hans is hungry, watch out. Everybody tread lightly. I'm hungry! Hans and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. As a BYU fan deciding between what's worse, Utah or Utah State, having experienced it, it's Utah, but I will say there's 5% of knuckleheads of every fan base. I've seen BYU fans bring it on themselves, so there you go. DJ PK, the John Watson Chevrolet High School Player of the Week Award, is presented weekly to the top prep football players in Northern Utah. This week's winners are Nick Despain and Gavin Turner from Morgan High School. Despain threw for 179 yards and six touchdowns to go with 105 yards rushing and another TD and a 69-0 drubbing of Ben Lohman. Turner, five receptions, 118 yards, and caught four of the touchdown passes Despain threw. See why new and used car buyers give John Watson Chevrolet more five-star reviews than any other Chevy dealer in Utah. John Watson Chevrolet, your five-star Chevy dealer. All right, you heard the uh, the open mic there. Grab your phone, use the app, use the open mic. Y'all can play it here on the air. Bringing pain on themselves. Cougar on cougar crime. <laughs> that was something we hadn't heard this morning. That's a new one. But you've talked about this in concerts, and I don't think the game's in concerts. is You're playing the lottery when you go. You never know who you're going to be around who's fun or who you're going to be around that wrecks the experience. Oh, people can totally just shatter it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So it's yeah. it's uh, you're just it's the lottery. Now, it, some places you go, the odds are better than others. And it sucks when people around you ruin it. And we've seen so many of these with these videos now fights. I saw the Chiefs. They both had Chiefs jerseys on, and the guy's pummeling the dude. He's on his back, <laughs> leaning over the chairs till he was unconscious. Brutal. That person should be arrested. Stop with the friggin' fighting at a sporting event. What is going on here? And it's all the time. Sit there and enjoy the event and go home. It's a friggin' game. And so a big part of the fan base just wants to watch games at home where there's no charge for parking, you got the TV, and you can go to your own fridge, and there's no line at the bathroom. And sports teams have to figure out how to combat that. Well, it's an interesting dilemma here because so much of it is alcohol-induced, and I don't know that it's on the, 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 the thing about it here with the, with the booze and getting drunk and then doing these things is just out of control. Pyomer security, I don't know what the answer is. I don't got answers to anything. But even at concerts, man, I told you years ago I got kicked in the face at a Billy Joel show. Kicked right, kicked right in the jaw. I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the go-to plan when you rolled into the building. Right, because the fight and You don't usually think of Billy Joel me. as being the, uh, the rowdiest crowd. No. I mean, <laughs> he, he complains Catholic girls start much too late, and sooner or later it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one. You know? I understand that. But yeah, come on. Got a lot of feedback here. Can visiting uh, fans, BYU fans, expect better treatment from Utah or Utah State? 
I've been a BYU fan all my life in the Cash Valley. The only thing I don't understand is the hate for BYU. And Chad said, well, if you could put yourself in an Aggie fan's shoes, you'd see the constant mocking, teasing, and talking down to from BYU fans. So That's a long typical source. BYU fans. And Dale adds, can only take so much too stupid to get into BYU, or the assumption you must not be a good member if you don't want to go to BYU so many times before you're nauseated, what? and you want to see them oh. get beat down whenever possible. Yeah, man, that, that, I disagree with that, because if you are a good member, you want to go to BYU. Sign Cash Valley, born and raised. Isn't that obvious? That's the kind of pot you should have for earlier in the show, <laughs> not literally the last 20 seconds. See, I'm a bad member. I've never wanted to go to BYU. Coming up next, <laughs> a guy who went to BYU and a guy who didn't. Perhaps. Oh, and they're both they bad dudes li- themselves. Perhaps they can light each other up. <laughs> Which one of them stabbed a brother with a pitchfork? How does that story go? I need that promo. Not an old Idaho guy. <laughs> Scotty's brother yeah, Scotty those... threw a pitchfork and got him right below. And they're the both knee. from Idaho. I mean, that just doubles down on I don't trust you. Scotty and Answer next. We'll see you.